This is the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast podcast. It's Friday, November 18th, 2022, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast. Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior! This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Mm. Rubs, barbecue tools, blow torches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off. Also brought to you by Stay Ready Gear. They're at stayreadygear.com and on Instagram, stayreadygearusa. Holsters, custom kydex, mag carriers, tourniquet carriers, on and off-duty gear. Hot melted plastic made just for you. Need something custom? They got you covered. Use the code STEAK for 5% off. Don't get ready. Stay ready. The Pillow King of Minnesota and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family getting ready to slide down the chimney with big-time holiday savings. They've got the new well, My Blanket throw. They've got the original MyPillows always on sale. And, of course, the Air Lindells versions 1 and 2, the My Slippers. Can't forget Giza Dream Everything. And a promo code to take a checkout. You're going to get big, big savings off at MyPillow. More of a morning person, they've launched my coffee and a promo code steak there. You can get 25% off your total order, 50% off when you subscribe monthly. MyPillow.com forward slash steak for everything sleep related. MyStore.com forward slash steak for anything coffee related. Or you could always talk to a qualified pillow representative. 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear and the world's most technologically advanced in-studio recording equipment specializing in headphones can only be found at Odyssey. Whether you're gaming, potting, don't need no credit card for riding this train. Get those ear needs taken care of and done upright. Our good friend Alan has launched the Patriot Cigar Company, hand-rolled from the fields of Nicaragua, aged for three years, right next to the right, Mike Lindell picks his coffee beans. You enter promo code STEAK here, you're going to get 15% off your total order, every order over 100 bucks. Free shipping and a $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms has been servicing Southern California for over a decade. He's a licensed FFL. If you're into the tradesies and don't live in Canada, he's got a five-star rating as well. His newly redesigned, easy-to-use website is westcoastsurvivalarms.com. He's on Facebook Messenger and via the telephone, 619-870-6992. Steak for breakfast backs the blue. We love our first responders, and they're always working hard. While they're off-duty, they're probably wearing gear from Mediocre Medic. Sweatshirts, T-shirts, flip-flops, fanny packs, and more. Stickers and patches for while they're on the job. Plus, they've got a pretty fire IG. MediocreMedic.com is the website there, and last but certainly not least, the gold standard of tactical flair and home of the Zero Fucks Duck. It can only be found at Dumpbox. Find them on Instagram, find them on Facebook. Friends, don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at Steak for Podcast Breakfast or on the website at SteakForBreakfastPodcast.com. There you'll find a link tree that'll take you to all our social medias, the website, our newest Substack, Telegram channel, and more. On that note, to all our friends joining us today in the Patriot Podcast Network via the Roku app, from the Republican High Council, Instagram, Discord, and now via our verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and Truth Social. Welcome. Friday edition, Steak for Breakfast podcast, episode 188. 
I'm Roan. Noah's here. Yo. Antoinette will be joining us in a bit. Guys, we got a great show lined up, tons of breaking news, all the good stories, and some amazing guests. Let's get right to it. All right, joining us next on the show today, she's the official spokeswoman for the 45th President of the United States, Donald J. Trump, Miss Liz Harrington. Thanks for coming back on the show. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. And we do have a lot of good stuff to talk about, but unfortunately... Thanks for uh, everybody at the U.S. Justice Department crapping on everybody's weekend and uh, getting it off to a bad start. We've just learned over the course of the last few hours that, uh, well, almost boomerangedly, as the incoming House Republicans said they were opening up an investigation into the Biden crime family yesterday, and Chris Ray and Alejandro Mayorkas have been getting their butts kicked up on Capitol Hill all week, that the Justice Department and Merrick Garland, the revenge hire from the Obama administration, is going to be opening up a special counsel on Donald Trump. No surprises there. Liz, what's your hot take on that? It's so disgusting, honestly. It, the politicization of the so-called Justice Department never ends. It never ends. He just announces, President Trump does, that he's running uh, on Tuesday. And by Friday, there's a special counsel. It, you can't make it up. And uh, I mean, fortunately, the people see through it. They're so sick and tired of it. Uh, you've got a time when crime, actual crime, is skyrocketing all across the country. And you have a government, a regime that's only interested in going after its political opponents, harassing them, uh, inventing crimes uh, that would never uh, in a million years be prosecuted because it's they're not crimes. I mean, it's just absolutely unheard of. And um, we're going to have to continue to fight. But I, President Trump just said in a statement uh, to Fox News that, you know, Republicans really need to push back on this. Mm -hmm. And they've just won the House majority. There needs to be oversight. And this is getting out of control. And it really needs uh, to put a stop to it. Yeah, it's it's just blows my mind but at the same time it doesn't because we, we've come to expect this stuff I mean now we can expect through the special counsel to hear things like references to taxes special documents we'll have foreign relations and at the end of the day we all know where this is going if, if, if Donald Trump ever did anything wrong in the Justice Department and the FBI and that whole big conglomerate they gone down there ha ever had anything on it it would have come out a long time ago so this is just like you said something the, the people know that this is pretty much just for show it's just really annoying to have to go through this whole debacle again and i really do hope that you know everybody seems to be fighting with themselves up on capitol hill right now in the, in the house and senate i hope they direct some of that fighting over to the justice department and over to the fbi as well um moving on from that because we we, we do want to have a great interview with you it was a big week we, we talked been talking on the show for the last couple episodes since last tuesday about the massive successes that donald trump had via his endorsements throughout the course of the midterm elections although some of the higher profile names didn't make it over the finish line enough did to win back the house of uh representatives and we still have the Georgia runoff, which would was secure a tie in the Senate. So how, how is everybody feeling about that? Well, President Trump talked about this during his announcement. I mean, you've never had anything like his record. No. You've just never seen it, the endorsement record. It's unprecedented. Uh, it was something over 250 to like 32, uh, almost 300 to 32. It's just... It's nobody talks about that in the fake news, and obviously they don't want to talk about that. And you know, there's a lot of nefarious things going on as well. I mean, look at Carrie Lake's race, yep. and it's just a complete joke. Yeah. It is a complete joke, and no, and in, in any world, uh, there's no way that 
Carrie Lake is not the next governor of Arizona. She ran a flawless campaign, uh, had so much energy, so much enthusiasm, and really running against a non-entity once again, someone who refused to debate, someone who runs away and spills her coke, you know, from reporters, Uh, someone who's an absolute joke. Um, And yet because of this Democrat uh, political machine and all of the cheating, she starts at like 50 percent. It's just a joke. It it is so unfair. Uh, They draw out the count. For, for weeks on end and until they get the result that they want. They were not going to allow Carrie Lake uh, to get in there because she would be, and she still will be, a force to be reckoned with mm-hmm. and with the people on her side. So, look, we've talked about it before, guys. We know we have to fix our elections. But despite all that, I mean, there were still some very impressive uh, wins uh, in in, on November 8th, and we can't get discouraged and we can't um, give up the fight. We have to keep fighting and we have to continue to make sure we have oversight on these elections. I know there's going to be lawsuits that Carrie, I think, is getting behind. Yeah. Um, I think there's already lawsuits in other states as well. There's one filed in uh, Delaware County, Pennsylvania, because people are watching this now uh, of real time, not just fraud, but election law violations keeping out observers once again, and fudging the numbers. I mean, you, you, you see it, and anywhere that anyone looks, you're going to see the same thing. The numbers aren't going to reconcile, and there's going to be funny business with the voter rolls. You see that people disappear. Uh, they vote, and then all of a sudden they're inactive. Uh, it, it goes on and on, and there's games being played with these voter registration rolls, which I think has to be looked at in every single state, every single jurisdiction, because this is, you know, the gateway to the fraud, I think, is the voter role. So that all being said, Nancy Pelosi is out of a job. That's a great thing. Uh, President Trump had a lot of victories. And our agenda is really winning. It really is. And he laid it out in his speech on Tuesday night, which was so you know, really uplifting, even though there's not a lot to be happy about uh, with the state of our country. But he talked about a national greatness agenda, and that's what we need to be talking about. There's People know how bad things are. They also know it doesn't have to be this way. And so that's what is really fueling this campaign uh, and fueling President Trump, his love of America, and he's not going to stop until we fix this country. Mm-hmm. No, you make a lot of excellent points there, Liz, and, and I think the biggest... Uh, shining example that you gave out is President Trump's career win-loss record, which is, uh, you know, like a lot of Hall of Fame coaches, something that's just untouchable moving forward. We'll never see it again in modern politics. Right. I just don't think so. Now, sticking with the announcement is is definitely the last thing I want to touch with you on. We, we did have some great friends who were uh, in attendance as well. I, I mean, Christina Bob was there, Cash Patel, Ambassador Grinnell were all sending us pictures and videos of the event. It was really great to see. Uh, Raheem Kassam as well. And then, uh, that whole atmosphere, you know, President Trump, I saw a lot of commentary and people thought for how he had truthed, uh, you know, pointing fin- fingers at people like Mitch McConnell and establishment Republican leadership throughout the course and, and over the finish line of the midterm elections. They thought he was going to come out and just be like Donald Trump, who has, you know, one agenda item to pick a bone with somebody. And what happened was we got a very stoic, uh, extremely presidential and, and, and robust platform that he rolled out there, not only 
future campaign talking points, but also he's going to run this race as, listen, there's a lot of people who want to get into the presidential primary if they dare. But the fact of the matter is you guys can all talk about what your proposed things would be. I've already done it. And uh, I, I definitely think him drawing that line right there at pretty much as hard as Donald Trump could on Tuesday night was something that made that uh, announcement really stick out to me. What do you think? No, absolutely right. I mean, he went through point after point of what he already has accomplished, which it was so historic in the first term. Um, that we've seen, you know, politicians come and go and they're all talk and they make, you know, they promise the world and they deliver nothing. President Trump, on the other hand, came in, said what he was going to do and did it. And that kind of mentality uh, is why he has such a leg up on anybody. And also because he's got the proven results and the job clearly is not done. And there's so much to do uh, that we can do. And so anyone that's going to be able to get it done is someone who's already been there, who knows where all the landmines are and has a proven track record of success. It's President Trump. And he laid out so many different uh, new platform points as well, which I think is exciting and energizing. He's talking about term limits. He's talking about really bringing real change. We desperately need it. And that's why all the forces are out against him. I mean, this, this announcement today, I mean, add it to the list, right, of all the different forces that are trying to stop Donald J. Trump it's not going to work. Uh, it is, it's unbelievable. No one will ever learn, but they are all coming after him because they know how effective he is. And because he really does restore, uh, the founding principles of what this country is all about. Consent to the govern, uh, someone who is a citizen, uh, legislator, if you will, someone who is a man of the people, someone who is a total outsider that's not beholden to anybody, not beholden to the big donors or the fake news, doesn't care what they say. It, all of these different interests, uh, it, the, all the swamp creatures in Washington, he doesn't care. And he's going to fight for the American people. And that's why they can't stand. That's why they can't stand it. That's why they fight against it. That's why they're trying every which way to figure out how they can stop him. But it's not going to work because he has the people on his side. No, you make total sense there. And it's just, it's so great to see a lot of, you know, our great friends of the president, you know, Governor Huckabee. And then you saw, I don't know if you caught it, but there was an amazing monologue that Jason Whitlock did lately uh, this week about, you know, just talking about how it's time to circle the MAGA wagons. And uh, he doesn't have any reason for, regardless of who gets in the race, to think that Donald Trump isn't the guy at the end of the day. And then you have a lot of, you know, people that are already in Congress right now throwing their support behind him. I saw a lot of the House Freedom Caucus members who are very close to President Trump and uh, love the way his policies made this country great over the course of his presidency. And then, you know, people like Senator Tuberville as well. Uh, moving forward, uh, I'm sure that list is going to continue to grow. Liz, we want to be able to direct everybody to uh, find you on True Social. We'll obviously link the president's website as well and uh, get everybody following over there. And we'll look forward to having you back. We appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule on a, what's been a busy week and a Friday for you to join us on the show to give us a big update. No, absolutely. Always love coming on with you guys. Uh, follow me at Real Liz USA on True Social. Go to DonaldJTrump.com. You know, the campaign's just getting started and uh, it's going to be so exciting. And we can't wait to join you uh, many, many more times. Uh- Till 24.
No, absolutely. I've already ordered my Trump 2024 shirt and hat <laughs> yesterday, so I'm, nice. ex- I'm excited to get them. This is the official spokeswoman for President Trump, Miss Liz Harrington. Thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks so much. Take care. It's like going to Idaho and saying, welcome to the state of Florida. I really love it. In order to make America great and glorious again, I am tonight announcing my candidacy for President of the United States. So many incredible friends and family here tonight. It's such a beautiful thing. It's some people say, how do you speak before so many people all the time? If when there's love in the room, it's really easy. If you want to know the truth, you ought to try it sometime. (laughs) Well, that was the big announcement that we uh, teased on our Tuesday edition of the show. uh, All but alluded to with guests that, you know, of the caliber of Christina Bob and Cash Patel. Um, you know, it got to the point in the conversations with both of them where they were like, when he announces tonight, his policy agenda will be. And I was like, I'm glad the show, you know, we, we actually didn't promote our show all over social medias because, uh, we wanted to give respect for the president and stuff like that. So I waited until the next day to post it everywhere, even though it was uploaded to the apps. We didn't, uh, you know, didn't want to take away from the event that was going on down at Mar-a-Lago. No, what do you think? I think everybody was expecting it, but it still made me smile when I heard it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely there. Guys, I just want to re- remind everyone, first of all, if you're first-time listeners today, thanks for joining us uh, and welcome. Uh, while you're listening, make sure you're sharing all of our content, which includes our shows, and subscribing on the podcast app like Google Podcast, uh, Apple iTunes, and uh, Spotify. We definitely want to do that. And remind you guys, tomorrow we'll be live for an hour, our Saturday show, The Great Steak Breakfast, 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern. Live chats will be open. Go subscribe to the Rumble channel. You'll find that in our link tree and on our social medias as well. Um, But getting back to this, I definitely think it was, uh, you know, where we needed to be. A lot of people were, you know, paid to question the timeliness of it. So close to the midterms being over with a runoff election down in Georgia. When was he supposed to do it? Still going on. I, I think when you look at the totality of everything and start thinking about all the stuff that we need to work on, we outlined a lot of it in our show last week, uh, maybe new ways that we vote and uh, welcoming that in, the you know reusing of social medias that we may have abandoned or are shy to go on um, as politicians and pundits. And things like that. There's a lot of stuff to set up. Plus, you know, you have all of this, I like to call it manufactured infighting right now. It's it's pretty much the Ron DeSantis donors versus Donald Trump's truth posts. So it just seems so fake. It's like, what, you don't have to pick a side. You can just want what's best for the country. Like, I mean, I, 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 would, I would hope that these politicians want what's best for the country, but I guess we'll see. Yeah, we'll be getting into uh, who's best for the country in a little bit. I, I can only suspect with... Uh, Newsweek columnist Josh Hammer in just a little bit. But, um, you know, I, I do want to give this a little bit of coverage. It was a big announcement, some new policy platforms, some of the things we heard along the Save America rally circuit throughout the course of the midterm election seasons, but some new stuff too. Uh, let's jump into the president hitting on some uh, State of the Nation. Two years ago, we were a great nation, and soon we will be a great nation again. 
The decline of America is being forced upon us by Biden and the radical left lunatics running our government right into the ground. This decline is not a fate we must accept. When given the choice, boldly, clearly, and directly, I believe the American people will overwhelmingly reject the left's platform of national ruin, and they will embrace our platform of national greatness and glory to America. Glory. So I'm here a little trend there with some new uh, verbiage. Mm-hmm. Exactly one week ago, our citizens voted in the important. So I, I think, and that, that's another thing I wanted to point out uh, in regards to the speech down at Mar-a-Lago on Tuesday. Uh, after quite a few weeks of, of, you know, firing shots off at either elected officials, uh, Republican leadership, um, you know, Glenn Youngkin was in the crosshairs, Ron DeSantis was in the crosshairs. Obviously, he's called out Mitch McConnell repeatedly. Um, he's blamed the GOP establishment as a whole. You have to think some of that falls back on the shoulders of Ronna McDaniel, uh, who now may be in a fight for her life as, as GOP chairwoman with uh, Lee Zeldin looking to throw his hat in the ring. So excited for that. But I think everyone w- was kind of waiting to see where this speech would go. Would it be, you know, rigged and stolen, this and that, or was it going to be a little bit more? It came off in the end as presidential. Uh, it was very stoic uh he came off and gave some elder statesman like vibes still joked here and there uh you heard it right before he teased his official announcement he was making fun of joe biden calling or joe biden calling idaho florida um but but you know it, it was more some people were wondering how much energy he was going to bring and i thought it was like an even tone of that plus like I'm announcing I'm running for president and I'm going to highlight the things that I've already done as president and that's kind of a you know, shot fired from uh, the Trump camp at everybody else who's thinking about getting in the ring. Like you can bring every policy um, hypothesis with you to the debate stage, but there's going to be receipts on stuff that Donald Trump, number one, has already done. Number two, is successful at doing. Um, and, and I think that's probably, you know, a very important component of it. What do you think, Noah? Yeah, I mean, he's going to have to jump in. I mean, he's already jumping in strong with everything, but you notice he he held back a little bit on details it was more just the presidential this is what's happening i'm gonna make the country great uh what was the new verbiage oh don't worry we've got it for the end oh yeah perfect so and we will get to that uh he stayed on some new material and talked about something that a lot of people talk about who come on the show especially ones who have ran for uh in, in congressional races over the last two years it's, it's congressional term limits which i think when you saw skeletor announce her all but retirement yesterday up on Capitol Hill, which we'll get into in uh, News One. Um, you know, someone who's been in there for 40 years and, and everybody else in between, I think it's time to at least start, you know, hashing open the debate at the congressional level on what we could do to impose some kind of term limits here. Let's hear it. To further drain the swamp, I will push for a constitutional amendment to impose term limits on members of Congress. It's time. It's time. And I will ask for a permanent ban on taxpayer funding of campaigns, a lifetime ban on lobbying by former members of Congress and cabinet members. Mm. I like that one. No, I see what they make. They leave the White House or they leave Congress and they're paid millions and millions and millions of dollars a year. (laughs) No, you have to have a ban. We want to ban on members of Congress getting rich by trading stocks with insider information. 
Mm, that's a big one right there. That's yeah. a shot at Nancy Pelosi as well, who's become a multi-millionaire over the course of her tenure uh, as a congresswoman. There, just you know, every time that what is it? The Nancer, Nancy Pelosi, Nancer, Nancer. Mm. Uh, what is it? The the stock track trader, trader tracker, whatever the Insta, or, uh, the Twitter account, and uh, every time oh Nancy Pelosi stock trades or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So uh, hey, it's, I mean it's pretty good. I mean follow it. <laughs> it's it's a thing. Um, I, I, it was, it was good to hear that. And, and I think, you know, for as many politicians who often campaign on it and then over the course of their tenure up on Capitol Hill, just abandon it. I think it's time we start to, uh, like I said, at least open up the debate and, um, it, it's important, you know, having these guys in there for, you know, 30, 40, 50 years is just ridiculous running for reelections when you, <laughs> Chuck Grassley already announced that he's running again in 2028. He'll yeah, be 101 when he finishes his last term. It shouldn't be a lifetime. Like, it's not a career. It's not like, this is what I'm going to do forever. It's not what it should be. Like, you get in, try to do some good, and then term limits get out. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a, it's a fact right there. No, no, I think this one uh, of his highlighted campaign items is one of the things you'll like. We'll get Biden's radical left ideology out of our military, and I did. I did. And in the first day, they put it back. They signed an executive order, and they put it back. It was gone. We will abolish every Biden COVID mandate and rehire every patriot who was fired from our military with an apology and full back pay. Ooh, wow. There's probably some people that wish they would have gotten fired now. Yeah. Could imagine who. Thank you. And they deserve an apology, and they deserve full back pay, and they'll get it. And unlike Biden, possibly getting a- so that's that's a pretty big highlight right there. Let me let me jump in on that one. I though, do for, want you to for a second. Mm-hmm. The issue with the people that were basically just squeezed out of the military over this nonsense is it's not it, coming back and getting back pay. That's great. That's perfect. They deserve it. But there's a lot of people where any semblance of motivation that they had left, any semblance of wanting to even be in the military. Like this took the wind out of a lot of people's sails, not to make, you know, a Navy pun or anything, but. Oh, you're right. We saw that with the recruitment numbers alone. Yeah. But I mean, everything that's going on with our military, it makes us look weak. It makes us look stupid and it makes it look like it's just another thing to take advantage of, which is basically just the theme of the fucking country now. It's yeah. like, hey, I'm going to cut my dick off, so I'm going to join the military, and then, you know, if, God forbid, we actually have to go to war, I'm just going to fucking disappear or identify as a fucking lampshade. I, I don't know. Like, it's idiotic. But the amount of people who have lost their motivation and their will to serve over this, I mean, just, you have people that, were the most motivated people in their in their particular command in their unit or whatever, and they got treated like shit for months, even a, even years now at this point. And it's like, well, why do I want to be part of this anymore? Mm-hmm. It's bullshit. That's a good argument. And uh, you know, how many of our friends that we hear from across social media is during that time when it was really getting cracked down? Hey, I'm in my 18th, 19th, 20th year. This is my retirement year. Mm-hmm. They're forcing me out. Six months before my retirement because I won't get the COVID jab. And that fucks people over. That that ruins, uh, like, just think of taking 20 years, 19 years of your life and being guaranteed something. And then because of something you have no control over, 
because it's against your actual, you know, firmly held beliefs mm-hmm. that you cannot do. I can't do this. I can't do it. It doesn't matter to me. I will give up these 19 years of, of benefits that I was supposed to get. That's fucking bullshit. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like President Trump is ready to address that. And uh, I like one of, you know, that solution that he's offering up as well. It doesn't make up for any of it and the stuff that the Biden No, the damage done. is done. This, 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 this regime has damaged just the roots of our country for decades at yeah. this point. It's going to be a big mess to clean up. Speaking of which, we're going to talk about one of the biggest ones hitting us nationally. Listen to this. Abolished America's borders. We are going to restore and secure America's borders just like we had them before. Best ever. We built the wall, and now we will add to it. Now we built the wall, we completed the wall, and then we said, let's do more, and we did a lot more. And as we were doing it, we had an election that came up, and when they came in, they had three more weeks to complete the additions to the wall, which would have been great, and they said, no, no, we're not going to do that. And that's when I realized that they actually want to have this disaster known as open borders. Mm. Hard to believe, isn't it? But one of the reasons we had so much success at the border was because of the fact that two things. We got Mexico to give us free of charge 28,000 soldiers. That helps. And the president of Mexico is a great gentleman, by the way. Socialist, but that's okay. He can't have everything. But he's a great man and a great friend of mine. But 28,000 soldiers while we were building the wall. And then when the wall was finished, that's how we set all these records. We have records that nobody can even compete with right now uh, it's a disaster i believe it's 10 million people coming in not three or four million people they're pouring into our country we have no that. idea who they are and where they come from we have no idea what's happening to our country we're being poisoned within moments of my inauguration catch and release will be gone forever mm. remain in mexico Remain in Mexico, which was so important. Everybody came in here. They remained here, and they never left. And you couldn't get them. You couldn't find them. I had a policy, remain in Mexico. And if you think it was easy for me to get the president of Mexico to agree to that, it wasn't. But we got it. And they terminated it. Can you believe? So now they come in here, and they stay, and we have no idea where they are. They get a lot of good talking points right there. What do you think? Uh... Well, that's, a, that's exactly what's happening. We're, we're losing track of these people. I mean, it, Everybody should be able to get get behind the fact that we're just losing children. Yeah, like losing children. The sex trade is off the off the chain right now. Oof, that's a bad one. Uh, it's just awful. I mean, how do you just because you want to just be a fucking Biden cheerleader and nothing this guy does is wrong? Nothing, and, and just ignore. Put your fucking fingers in your ears and no, 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 no. Just ignore all the bullshit every time he fucking can't talk and. His brain freaking restarts halfway through a fucking speech. I don't know how you can ignore just the the atrocities that are going on because of this. Like, yeah, you can want people to come into the country. I want people to come into the country, the country too. That's fine. There's a lot of beneficial uh, things that can happen with immigration, mm-hmm. but rampant, unmitigated overflow uh, immigration, it's it's not going to help anything. It's only going to cause a drain on the country. Well, I know you heard it on our Tuesday edition of the show, Noah, but when they had Alejandro Mayorkas up on Capitol Hill, he refused to answer the fact that, you know, catch and release has evolved into its final form to where in some instances, uh, you know, entities of the Department of Homeland Security aren't able to capture uh, biographical, uh, you know, and biometrics when, when people are coming to the United States. So that means they're literally apprehending them 
driving them to the gas station without even talking to them and just dropping them off by the hundreds. That, that's an actual thing. Yeah. Like nothing. Nothing. Just. He refused to answer the question. But that's happening. Yeah. That's confirmed that that's happening. Yes. I, I don't understand how that can be acceptable in any way. Yeah, they, they sent memorandums to the entirety across the umbrella of DHS today. Everyone from people in CBP and Border Patrol, Alejandro Mayorkas and his administrative staff, the director of CIS, and everyone in between, I believe there was 11 of them total, don't delete your emails, better save your receipts, because as soon as Congress is sworn in in January, your asses are all up here and answering for this. And we're going to start to see some of the stuff that's uh, – going to hopefully hold these people accountable. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that goes into the entirety of what we've talked about. It pisses me off that he was able to uh, get rid of what fucking Magnus, Mm -hmm. uh, Magnus, the commissioner, Mm -hmm. because he was just making him into the fall guy. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, uh, we've actually uh, taken care of the the problem that was causing uh, the the issues with immigration. It It was the the prior commissioner of uh, DHS, and mm. he's been since removed. Mm. Fuck you. Yeah. I, I can only assume, just based off of, you know, some of the things I've been able to see on TV and read in the press, that nothing's changed. Hey, if he doesn't fucking go to jail or at least, <laughs> like, bring back caning or something, like, I'd pay-per-view. Pay-per-view to solve world hunger. Caning of Mayorkas. Be amazing. Left-wing failures. Or beat him to death and with Washington, a hot dog. I don't Washington know. corruption was an undertone of all of this. We just outlined some of it here. Let's hear President Trump hit on it himself. We have more liquid gold under our feet than they have or any other nation has, and we don't use it because we're going to them. It's crazy what's happening. We can't let it continue. Joe Biden is the face of left-wing failure and Washington corruption. Mm. He had a big G20 dinner tonight. Everybody flew over to wherever they flew over. And guess what? He never showed up. They're still looking for him. What's going on? G20. I used to love that. The leaders, they used to make deals for our country like you wouldn't believe. It was one. Give me the next one. Give me the next one. And we got him to stop taking advantage of our country. Every nation took advantage of our country. We renegotiated deals with Mexico. And Canada, USMCA, we got rid of the worst trade deal ever made. Ever made, NAFTA, the worst trade. Mm-hmm. Did he have, I mean. He was a little bit under the weather. Yeah, so, I mean, I feel, when I was I was watching it outside in the yard, you know, playing with the dog, I heard a couple, like, fuck-ups. Like, but it was like, was he obviously not feeling well, a little under the weather, mm-hmm. um, to be expected, and, uh, you know, Leaps and bounds above any speech Biden's ever done. Yes. Unless they had him like completely freaking methed out or whatever they give him. It seemed like there might have been even some errors on the teleprompter. I, I don't know. Like unless he just like was bouncing around and misread something. Which could be the case because you do know he does a lot of tactical pauses. Yeah, to, he might have interject just, his own. Portions. He might have just jumped in in the wrong spot or something. So, which is fine. I did see him fumbling over some of his words. Like I am today. I'm a little under the weather myself here. Yep. You know, third time's the charm in the intro. There we go. You never know it when it's uploaded. <laughs> um, I think as we we you know wrap talking about this message, one of the things that he wanted to make abundantly clear was one of the huge highlights of the 2015 presidential campaign. Uh, it's about who this you know um, race for the presidency will be for. A lot of people are still confused how a, you know, former TV star, billionaire, the builder of towers, 
was able to harness the hardworking blue-collar middle-class heartbeat of America and parlay that into one of the most successful presidencies of all time. Because um, he was relatable. He was I, relatable, and he wasn't a swamp creature. Yes. That's, that's really all it was. It's like, hey, this guy says all the shit that I'm thinking, and he's not completely sucked into all this political bullshit. He's just a guy. They never wanted him, and they weren't going to let him in once he was there. But yeah. he wants to go back again, and he's letting everybody know just why he's doing that. Right I mean, there. I would like to think that I would, you know, do the right thing and do what's best for the country. But I mean, man, that guy's the slings and arrows that guy's taken. I I just stay on the golf course if I were him at this point. True story. Let's hear it. This will not be my campaign. This will be our campaign altogether. Because the only force strong enough to defeat the massive corruption we are up against is you, the American people. It's true. The American people, the greatest people on earth. We love them all. And we love both sides. We're going to bring people together. We're going to unify people. And it was happening in the previous administration, previous to the previous. And uh, what was bringing them together was success. Prior to COVID coming in, the people were calling me. That were calling. And, and I think uh, it's extremely believable when he says this will be our campaign. Um, he obviously can't do it without the base, but then talks about extending it. Remember, we've made a lot of inroads over the course of the last two years, extending the size of the big tent that the Republican Party is becoming. Uh, we're seeing that in wins in like border states and house races and in, in uh, border districts. Um, it's weird how we won in a lot of those places that – you know, that got flipped mm-hmm. and they kind of put a little stranglehold on uh, the, the bullshit election stuff. Yeah. It's, it's weird how that happens. Really weird and, and wild. Uh, we're going to continue to talk about that as one of the newest themes of the show. I think how to do elections is probably going to wind up overtaking midterm election roundup as we head into general election roundup mm. apparently now. Uh, and President Trump obviously would end his speech in, in true traditional Trump fashion, adding little bit new uh, material to the end. Let's hear it as we're getting ready to close out our cold open. America's golden age is just ahead. And together, we will make America powerful again. We will make America wealthy again. We will make America strong again. We will make America proud again. We will make America safe again. We will make America glorious again. And we will make America great again. Thank you very much. God bless you. What do you think? I like it. Yeah. I think adding making America glorious again is something that uh, is highly appropriate. Mm-hmm. And uh, when he teased bringing the golden age back, listen, it's it's one of two choices right now. It's uh, enter into the golden age mm-hmm. in 2024 or everywhere becomes Philadelphia, Los Angeles, Chicago, Washington, D.C. at some point in the near future. You know who else entered the golden age just mm-hmm. now? Mm-hmm. Antoinette. Oh, she's here. Mm-hmm. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Oh, boy. So we just covered the... Uh, 
Trump announcement and our cold open, Antoinette, I know you have saw at least highlights of it. What did you think? We, we talked about how it was a little bit uh, more presidential, a little less shit posting than usual, but he did have a couple knocks at Joe Biden and some of the left wing radicals. But the fact of the matter is he, he came off as a, I've been there, I've done it, and that's going to be my platform as we, the American people, move forward with this campaign. What did you think? I think the same. I think it's a good start, um, and I'm excited to see what's to come. Yeah, so are we. And moving forward, we're going to be obviously tracking this now as, uh, you know, President Trump's held some high-level meetings over the course of the last few days, meeting with some of his closest confidants. There was over two dozen uh, billionaire donors in the front row, front two rows of the Mar-a-Lago kickoff announcement. And then uh, we we do know over the course of the last 24 hours, he's met face-to-face with at least Kerry Lake. And uh, he's uh, had a telephonic conference with the uh, Lee Zeldin delegation that lasted approximately 35 minutes yesterday, which was Thursday. So we see as Lee Zeldin's teasing his uh, possible nomination for the GOP chair challenging Ronald McDaniel. We'll see where that goes. But uh, I'm sure that when he talked with President Trump this week, there was obviously some of that, um, you know, information being uh, discussed out on the table. So uh, right now we're going to jump in with one of our first guests. So we'll uh, swing it over to the phones. All right, joining us next on the show today, he's an opinion editor at Newsweek. He's the host of the Josh Hammer Show, syndicated columnist, New York Young Republican Club enjoyer. Uh, One of our good friends. Glad to have him back. Josh Hammer, thanks for jumping back on the show with us. Anytime. Hope you guys are surviving this midterm postmortem period. Okay. Oof. You know what? Pulling out of it. A uh, lot of reflection, soul searching and analysis that needed to be done afterwards. I, I think uh, it, the midterm elections in 2022 was an extremely hard pill to swallow for conservatives, nationalist populists, etc. And uh, I, I think you've you've kind of tapped into that whole feeling as well. Outside looking in as someone that that sees all this stuff, interacts with a lot of these, uh, you know, figures in the political realm and, and, and yourself, all the stuff that you do. What are you looking at it and, and what's your current analysis of where we're at? So first of all, I mean, egg on my face, egg on a lot of our faces. I wrote a very triumphalist column for the Daily Mail of the UK the day before the election, boldly predicting 54 Senate seats. So, I mean, wow, I you know I got that run wrong. A lot of people got this wrong. And it, it's been tough to try to figure out what exactly happened. And one of the reasons that, it been, that it's been so tough is that if you actually look at the national popular vote, Republicans won the national popular vote by about four percentage points. Mm-hmm. But if you start digging beneath the surface a little bit, you start to see what went wrong a little bit. So we actually, or I should say Republicans lost independence, which in a first presidential term for the opposition party is very, very bad. You know, the independents should, historically speaking, be flocking to the out of office party because they want to hold the incumbent party responsible for everything that's going wrong. And there happens to be a lot going wrong right now, 40 year high inflation all sorts of various boondoggles around the world, wide open border, catastrophic numbers there. So, you know, I mean, everything was there. So um, what what happened? And that's the most frustrating part is there's not like one glaring, obvious scapegoat that we can point to. There's not one individual. There's not one institution. There's not one systemic failure. Rather, as my friend Ryan Gerdusky, who I believe is also a sometimes guest on, on this podcast, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken, as Ryan said, was really death by a thousand cuts. And that's what it was. I mean, there were a lot of factors that were at work here. A couple of things that I've been focusing on in, in my podcast, in my columns, in my commentary just over the past week and a half or so since this thing went down. 
and you know, I just got off the phone actually before I hit the record button with you guys with someone who just ran for office and lost. It was off the record, so I'll, I'll leave his his name out of it. But he was just emphasizing to me the fundraising disadvantage and uh, the, the fundraising numbers is something that you just cannot escape in, in literally all of these high profile races that Republicans lost Georgia. Arizona, I guess Georgia's going to a runoff, but you know, Arizona, Nevada, Pennsylvania, literally all of these high profile races, Republicans were just massively, massively outspent. They were outspent and they were outmobilized. The Democrats simply play the game better as far as getting their voters registered and to the polls. And I don't particularly like early voting, let alone the vote by mail ballot harvesting stuff. I actually hate early voting. In fact, I went to law school, I'm a lawyer, and my, I remember my first year of law school debating people on early voting, which kind of defeats the purpose of voting from my perspective. It should be a snapshot in time, single day election. But, and here's the but, I don't know when Republicans decide to stop playing the game. I mean, like you have to play the game in front of you at a bare minute. You have to win elections in order to subsequently change the laws to go back to at least what it was in the status quo ante pre COVID pre 2020. So there's a, there's a lot there on um, the abortion issue seems to have had a larger effect than I anticipated it would. I say that as a staunch pro-lifer who speaks and writes on these issues, it brings me no particular pleasure to, to, to say that at a bare minimum, we do pro-lifers need to adjust our strategy. No more ballot initiatives. Let's focus on incremental state level legislation. You know, McConnell and the Senate Leadership Fund definitely have some egg on their face. Too much money in Alaska, not enough in Arizona, things of that nature. And then finally, obviously, the elephant in the room is the Trump effect as well, which I definitely think did have a harmful effect this cycle in particular on, on independence, suburbanites, and, and so forth. So, so, you know, there's a lot to unpack there, but it really was a, de- a death by a thousand cuts, I think. Well, I don't uh, disagree with you, and we'll, we'll touch on all those. Let's start breaking it down from the top bottom. Do you, How much do you think, uh, you know, Ronald McDaniel's reluctancy to, uh, I, I think when you go back, you could look at it even a little bit further. The primary season, you want to talk about moderates, maybe walk away Dems and a lot of independents. Uh, they were told that people who in overwhelming numbers would make it to be the Republican nominee heading into the general election were like the worst candidates possible. There was ad campaigns. There were smear campaigns, obviously donor emails all over the place. And then you get through the primary election season and you're set up with all of these candidates who were told aren't the right pick. And, and you know, they're everything from election deniers to insurrectionists. And that kind of disenfranchises that whole shy vote, in my opinion. And then, you know, listening to your most recent podcast the other day, you broke down, you know, all your disdain with all things election related. And I thought it was really good and comprehensive. We've been talking about it's time to start, you know, doing all of the uh, vote by mail and, and early registration and ballot harvesting stuff that the Democrats pretty much had done historically. But now since 2018, uh, you know, under the guise of COVID have pretty much weaponized to ensure unless there's anomalies like Donald Trump breaking through the blue wall in, in 2016 and, and winning Pennsylvania or, or things like Glenn Youngkin, where they literally broke the system with the amount of people who came out and voted for him and, and straight down the ticket for him. Uh, you're you're not going to get those wins in some of these battleground states, like you mentioned, in these higher profile Senate seats. Um, I, I did also look at some of the research that's coming out now. Georgia, over 60 percent. Pennsylvania, over 60 percent. Arizona, over 60 percent. Michigan, on the Democrat side, over 80 percent by October 1st of the total electorate that would participate in the midterms had already voted. That means campaigns, ads, sponsorship donations, Trump rallies, you name it, means nothing. Those votes are already there, and all you're doing is working up against a a running tabulation. So 
starting with the primaries and heading into the general election season, how much of that blame falls on the establishment Republican leadership that's currently there, the McConnells, McCarthy's, Ronald McDaniels, leadership, as our good friend Raheem Kassam often tabs on our show. Do you find, before we get into all the stuff that was wrong in the general election, basically how we vote, how early we could vote, and then the Trump effect? Yeah, McLeadership's really quite a term, isn't it? I actually, I was texting Raheem literally this morning to say, you did a good one there. That was that was a job well done, actually. So um, I, I like that term a lot. And look, the RNC and the Republican establishment more broadly has a lot of blame. They should take a lot of blame for this because they apparently have learned no lessons in two years. I mean, the same way the Democrats beat Republicans at their own game in many ways back in 2020, as far as just the most basic rudimentary building blocks of politics, what have Republicans done about it? I mean, we've had a lot of candidates who talk about how the election was stolen. I have used the phrase stolen to describe the election. And there, there was a lot of shenanigans. There was yeah. a lot of chicanery. There was a lot of bad stuff that happened in the 2020 election. Ballot harvesting is a big effing deal. It is a real, real problem. But more importantly, what are we doing about it? I mean, here I am, you know, still over two years after the 2020 presidential election, and I do not have a concrete answer to that problem. You know, I'm told that there are some people work at various institutions up in D.C., inside the Beltway, who are focusing on this problem. You know, I, I can even name some names, honestly, who I think people who have allegedly devoted large swaths of time. But whatever it is, apparently that's not paying dividends because we are doing the exact same song and dance. I mean, Maricopa County, Arizona, for God's sake, has been ground zero now in two elections in a row. I mean, this is just crazy talk. It really kind of brings to mind the old Einstein quip that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, un- unless and until Republicans, the RNC, the NRSC, the NRCC, you know, the whole McLeadership cabal, if you will, uh, unless and until we actually start making concrete changes, putting in the hard dollars to, to get Republicans to the polls, get them mobilized, the results are frankly going to be the same. So I do think that to no small extent, the results were kind of baked now, I, I, there are still a few things that trouble me, right? And a, a couple of things that I still can't quite figure out. And I, I, I guess I would leave it to smarter people to figure out. You know, if you look at what at the issues that pollsters or that voters told the pollsters on the precipice of the election. So there was this New York Times poll, for example, in the middle of October, two or three months before the election, where if you take combined the percentage of people that said that they were voting primarily on either inflation or the economy, that number added up to 44%. It was a massive plurality compared to any other issue. I mean, who is voting on the economy and inflation and looks at the situation out in America and says, oh, gee, I'd rather give it to the incumbent. I mean, that just doesn't make sense to me. I mean, I have a very hard time figuring that out, and that doesn't necessarily get into the early voting stuff. But it, it is a real, real problem. And, you know, unfortunately, I do not think that in the long term, Republicans can adequately compete when it comes to the ballot harvesting regime with this five, six months of mass early voting in some states like Pennsylvania for the very simple reason that ballot harvesting disproportionately redounds to concrete Democratic voting blocks. I mean, it is much easier to ballot harvest, I guess would be a straightforward way of saying it, in high-density urban areas and college dorm rooms. You can't ballot harvest a suburban white picket fence community, let alone a country road. I mean, but it's kind of oxymoronic. You literally can't do it. You can ballot, you can ballot harvest a little bit when it comes to kind of senior living facilities, nursing facilities, things of that nature. Certainly, we need kind of our large kind of evangelical megachurches to get a little more political and kind of like souls to the polls fashion. So, you know, there there are definitely some things like that. 
But yeah, I, I mean, to an extent, this thing really seems like it was kind of baked um, in the equation. And I guess I guess that is really how Democrats were able to kind of pull this off, despite losing the national popular vote, even by roughly four percentage points. Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, some of the independents and then you know, single women was a huge cross tabulation that it kind of eliminated all the ones where, where Republicans continue to make inroads. The African-American, Asian-American, Latin American demographics, obviously the, the, the married family where we saw all rises in the polls there. The, the independents and, and single women kind of washed it all out, even though we won the national, uh, you know, vote by, by like you said, over 4%. And, and then, you know, this whole ballot harvesting and early vote thing is just something that I, I've seen so little movement on, but now I see people pivoting onto. I think that part of goes into, you know, the uh, Trump announcement that happened on Tuesday. It's it's setting up the national apparatus a little bit earlier than normal. And, uh, you know, I, I saw that you mentioned paid consultants there, too. It seems like there's a lot of them. And at the end of the day, the only thing that's really happening is they're getting paid. I feel like if we start ballot harvesting, then it'll be cheating. Yeah, well, the Democrats will continue to weaponize it until yeah. we level the playing field a little bit, but that's neither here nor there. So we all, we all know that you're a strong supporter and obviously a huge fan of uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. We also appreciate the great governor from the Sunshine State on this show as well. With the announcement of Donald Trump this week throwing his name back in the ring for uh, 2024, where does do you think the political landscape is starting to shape up, and uh, how did you feel about that announcement overall? Well, I mean, like, this wasn't a surprise to anyone. I mean, this didn't, this obviously did not catch anyone by surprise. I mean, I think you would have been crazy if you would have thought that that President Trump was not going to run for office again. Um, I, I didn't actually watch the announcements. I was I was with a friend at a, at a hockey game, actually. So I, I, I caught some clips and I had some friends there in Mar-a-Lago text me about it. I mean, he was very subdued, right? I mean, it, didn't, it, did, it's, it did not seem to me like he was bringing the same level of enthusiasm. I, I saw some people on Twitter. I saw Michael Knowles, my former colleague of the Daily Wire, basically say that this was Trump trying to show that he can be what the critics want him to be, so-called um, you know, Trumpism without the, the, the full Trump, Trump without all the baggage. Maybe. Um, I don't. I, I, I'm not sure. Um, I, I, I do. I, I will say. I think the timing is a little peculiar. Um, you know, it is, it is one week after election day where a lot of high-profile Trump-endorsed candidates either did not win, or in the case of Herschel Walker, are, are going to a runoff. Obviously, I think Trump had somewhat of a mixed record, you, you might charitably say, when it comes to the Georgia Senate runoffs in the aftermath um, of the 2020 election. So we'll see whether this this announcement has any effect on the Warnock-Walker runoff this time around. Um, you know, I mean, I've seen the same polls that you guys have seen that uh, that oftentimes since Election Day seem to show DeSantis ahead of Trump when it comes to a, a hypothetical 2024 presidential field that obviously is entirely hypothetical at this point. Trump is the only person who has announced for office yet. Um, I have no particular inside information despite being a Floridian or anything like that. But, I, you know, I am a huge supporter of Governor DeSantis, and I have said time and time again that if he does choose to run for president, I will support him. But, you know, I'm also extraordinarily grateful for the incredible achievements that President Trump um, was able to achieve while he was in office. And while I think that DeSantis represents a better path forward if he chooses to run, I would obviously happily and even enthusiastically, I should say, vote for Trump if he is the nominee. Yeah, I think a lot of people would, too. And I think it goes the way for either candidate. I think if if either one came out at the end of the uh 
you know, uh, primary cycle and was the Republican nominee, it wouldn't be hard for a Trump supporter to vote for, let's just say, Governor DeSantis and vice versa, obviously. But, uh, yeah, part of me thinks that, and and because we do talk to a lot of Trump adjacents on this show, that, you know, part of the early announcement goes with kind of setting things up instead of just waiting like a year before. And we're talking about, like, national offices and maybe getting into the new ways that Republicans will vote in 2024, hopefully. But also it has to go into probably some of the leadership uh, infighting that's going on up on Capitol Hill right now. Obviously, we saw Nancy Pelosi saying she's stepping away from leadership in totality in the Democrat Party. She's just going to remain a House member for the time being. I don't think she'll serve the entire two-year sentence, but that's just my opinion. Um, well, two-year term. It's a sentence for the rest of America. I caught myself <laughs> there. But, you know, we saw, you know, Andy Biggs uh, and the House Freedom Caucus le- leading a delegation against a uh, leadership vote for Kevin McCarthy. We obviously saw some of the big guns in the Republican Party, Josh Hawley, uh, at the top of that ticket saying, that they don't want Mitch McConnell to be the leader again. And even if he will, it looks like there's going to be more pushback from that Holly Cruz, Paul delegation there. Probably Ron Johnson's in there as well. I think there was 11 in total. Rick Scott, you're going to include him also. And then, um, you know, as, as the RNC chair, as something that I think was just kind of thrown out there on Twitter over the course of last week, Lee Zeldin has actually responded in saying he's considering uh, running for the GOP chair. What are some of those infightings, uh, you know, that's going on up on Capitol Hill right now that interest you? And what do you think possible outcomes are? I mean, it seems to me, and this is kind of what I said in my column out today. I mean, there's a quote that may be apocryphal, but it's usually attributed to Talleyrand. He's talking about the Bourbon Restoration after the fall of Napoleon in France. And Talleyrand uh, allegedly famously famously said, quote, they have learned nothing and they have forgotten nothing. And that is really what it looks to me. I mean, all the McLeadership seems like it's coming back. I mean, Kevin McCarthy, I have no particular indication. I would love to see a House Speaker Andy Biggs, to be very clear. I think Andy Biggs is one of the great, the best congressmen in the House. I would would love to see a Speaker Chip Roy, a Speaker Jim Jordan. I mean, all of these would be improvements over Kevin McCarthy, who I have frankly never thought of as anything other than a professional operative. I mean, if you were to ask me what Kevin McCarthy's political philosophy is or the, the issues that most animate him i would literally stare at you blankly i i I have i I simply do not know in fact i think back to you know when when he eric Cantor, and paul ryan were the so-called young guns they had (laughs) like i think the three of them like co-wrote a book together or something along those lines maybe about a decade or so ago 11 12 years ago you know of that three and you know i it's not like eric Cantor and paul ryan are the greatest things since sliced bread but of those three, I, I always thought that McCarthy was probably the least impressive. So I, I really have nothing particularly good to say about Kevin McCarthy. Um, Mitch McConnell obviously has just defeated Rick Scott. Um, I, I, Rick, the challenge for Rick Scott struck me as a little too little too late. I yeah. mean, it came. It, it, it felt like he was doing it just for the headlines. Honestly, it was it was it was it was a strange move to me. He never really had a a strong chance of victory. It's also not particularly obvious to me that Rick Scott would be a market improvement on Mitch McConnell. I mean, Rick Scott did not do a good job, to put it mildly, as the head of the NRSC, that he has now kind of bowed out of that job, given it over to Steve Daines in Montana. I mean, Rick Scott was was bad. I mean, he was just a, he was just very bad at the NRSC, and that's why we're hearing some headlines about audits of the NRSC to make right. sure that the money was spent appropriately and properly in various places. So he so he was not good. So that was a bizarre challenge of, of Mitch McConnell. Ronna McDaniel, look, in a previous life, I mean, as recently as probably a few decades ago, if you were the chair of a political party that so drastically underperforms what anyone reasonable would have predicted foreseen this past election cycle, you would resign. And I, I, I am 
somewhat surprised that Ronald McDaniel is has not already resigned. I guess I'm not shocked because as far as sinecures go, as far as kind of comfortable positions and access to donors, that's probably, I guess, a comfortable position to have. But, you know, if she had like any sense of self-awareness, I think that she would have already resigned. And, uh, you know, I, I think Lee Zeldin is a name that's gotten floated out there a lot. He would have made a lot of sense to me. Uh, you know, Lee Zeldin and Ron DeSantis are frankly the two people to thank for the Republicans squeaking by with this narrow House majority. DeSantis, yep. because, because of this 20 to 8 excellent math that he kind of forced through over the heads of the Florida legislature. Um, Lee Zeldin, even though he lost by less than or about five points, he kind of carried four districts from D to R. So, yeah, I think Lee Zeldin as RNC chair would make a lot more sense. But, you know, I go back to the Talleyrand's quote. I mean, it seems like uh, what Raheem calls the McLeadership is tragically here to stay. And to put it mildly, that's not inspire a lot of confidence that the RNC and the various other wings of the Republican establishment will learn any lessons prior to 2024. So we could just be doing the, the Einsteinian insanity definition thing yet again. No, you make a lot of sense there. And it's, you know, I put out a substack yesterday about it, how this infighting and growth process is something that's been a long time coming and necessary, but the overall end results, we may have to do things a little bit different moving forward, uh, you know, as, as the Republican voting electorate, but the people who are going to be running it, although it seems like they're going to be publicly held to a little bit more account than they have been historically might still be in all of the leadership positions across the board. Josh, I saw today that you, uh, or, or actually recently that, um, you know, you, you've got some stuff coming out on your podcast moving forward. What's it going to be looking like now uh, down the road as we head into the holiday season? Maybe some upcoming shows or topics you're looking to work on. That's a good that's a that's a good question. I mean, right right now I'm just so focused on on the elections, just trying to figure out what went wrong. I mean, not to sound too black pilled, but. I mean, I very much am part of kind of the whole new right national conservatism movement, and I, I genuinely do believe in it. I mean, I do not think that there is any viable path forward for the American right that, that goes back to, you know, John McCain, Mitt Romneyism, that goes back to kind of free trade absolutism, corporate tax cuts. Uh, not that taxes are good, obviously, but I mean, fundamentally, when it comes to substance, when it comes to the actual policy initiatives, the trifecta of issues that Trump really ran on, foreign policy, immigration, and trade, that absolutely 100% is the best path forward for the Republican Party. And I'm going to continue to kind of rail against a return to what that famous First Things Manifesto in 2019 referred to as the dead consensus. I'm going to rail against the return to Mitt Romneyism, dead consensus, and all of that stuff. But, and here's the but, I, 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 I hate to say it, but like a lot of this almost feels somewhat superfluous unless and until we have a political party capable of actually implementing these ideas, policies, and whatnot that we're talking about that actually learns how to engage in politics. So, you know, I, I, I've never been that forthrightly and explicitly of a political qua political person before, if that makes sense. I kind yeah. of, I, I prefer to kind of engage when in, in like policies and ideas and political philosophy. I, I don't talk a ton about kind of the bare nuts and bolts of politics because frankly, I just lack the expertise in that. I've never, I've never even been a full-time campaign staffer or a full-time Capitol Hill staffer. I'm very much kind of an outsider when it comes to these things. But I mean, we have to start talking about these issues more because I, I mean, this is two election cycles in a row, arguably three, where the Republican side has just so drastically underperformed. So I might be trying to get some more guests who have actually like served on campaigns, who 
maybe have even served at the RNC, things of that nature, people who just know a little more about actual politics, qua politics, because I, I kind of lack the on the ground expertise to talk about a lot of this, but I sure damn well that it's extremely important that our side get it right. No, it's it's 100% accurate right there. There are some big changes that need to happen in the next two years. And uh, when, when you look at it just as fast as these midterm elections came and went, uh, it seemed like forever ago that we were just starting to get these guests in here. And now we're seeing which ones are making it up to Capitol Hill. And it's like flies by in, in the blink of an eye. And I, I pretty much will be talking about, you know, getting out to the elections in, in November of 2024 sooner rather than later. Josh, we want to be able to direct everybody that's not already following you on social media. We'll live link, obviously, your handles and, of course, the podcast and your uh, Newsweek column in our in our show description today. I appreciate it, guys. No, I really appreciate it. Always, always great to be back with you. And, um, you know, let's make sure that our side learns the right lessons, right? There's no return to Mitt Romneyism. There's no return to kind of the old pre-Trump status quo ante. The only question is how we possibly chart a path forward from here. Yeah. So thanks for joining us. And uh, we'll be looking to have you back at some point in uh, December. And uh, we'll keep tracking you and, and cranking out your info. And uh, thanks for taking time to join us on the show today. This is the Opinion Editor at Newsweek, the host of the Josh Hammer Show. It's Josh Hammer. Thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast. Anytime, guys. Thanks for having me. Everybody's bending to the establishment. Everybody's bending to the establishment. Everybody's compromising their values and principles, bending to the establishment. I'm not going to do it. I'm looking at Trump. They're trying to put this man in jail. Uh, They've done everything possible. The establishment on the right and the left have done everything they can to destroy this man. I'm not jumping ship. Not yet. I I need some more evidence, some more proof. I need someone that's Willing to take on the establishment, the right and the left establishment, because we got here to this point because of this. This is what the establishment wants. They're all getting rich with insider trading. Mm. I don't see many of them objecting to in a real way to what's really going on. I want to have a conversation with Josh Hawley. Uh, one of our senators from Missouri, he's from Kansas City, known him for a long time. I need someone to help me make sense of what we've just seen and what we've just witnessed before I jump ship on Donald Trump and the MAGA movement. Those are my early thoughts. They might change. They might adjust as I gather more information. But right now, if I just went with gut feeling, Blood in, blood out. Trump in, Trump out. This is a gang. This is, and I hate to use that analogy, <laughs> yeah. but I'm not coming up off of this. And, and I'll just, the last thing for me is when I heard the Mormon church, the, the Latter-day Saints of Jesus Christ, put out a statement yesterday that they're going to support this codifying of same-sex marriage. Mm. Job's not done. Everybody's bending to the establishment. Everybody's bending to the establishment. Everybody's compromising their values and principles, bending to the establishment. I'm not going to do it. And right now, until someone else raises their hand and says, you know what, I'm willing to take on the establishment. I'm willing to risk jail. 
I'm willing to have the entire establishment counsel me until someone else raises their hand and signs up for that job. I'm going to be team Trump. And I'm probably I'm more, today as of this moment, I'm far more team Trump than I have ever been at any time. I've never really been team Trump. I've just been like, eh, you know, He's better than these alternatives and his the stuff the media hates about him doesn't really bother me. I like his policies. The man put three Supreme Court justices on the court that ended Roe v. Wade. Till someone else steps up and shows me they got those kind of balls. I'm team Trump. And I think that's some extremely powerful commentary. Yeah, yeah that's why he that's yeah. why he was such a good president because he was going after, quote unquote, your own team with the establishment pieces of shit that are in there. Mm. The total exactly. swamp monsters and dirtbags. Exactly. No, it's a, it's it's good points that Jason Whitlock made there. He has his own show. He's a regular contributor on Tucker Carlson as well. They get into a lot of the spiritual warfare stuff that's going on in this country and how it kind of spins it. Uh, he was talking about, you know, the codifying of gay marriage and, and obviously the overturning of Dobbs. So two big issues that are uh, obviously still going to be on the ballot by the time we get to the uh, voter centers on November in 2024. So. I don't know why we're talking about that. I don't care if gay people get married. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. It's just a distraction from shit that actually matters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, continuing on with our theme here, the there was a lot of announcements and reactions this week, not just from Donald Trump. We'll get into that in a little bit on the back end of News 1. But we're going to stay in this thread because obviously there was going to be reactions from both the right and the left. Uh, as we mentioned, you, you heard Jason Whitlock there. Uh, former Arkansas Governor Mike Huckabee jumped on and uh, – Newsmax with Rob Schmidt and had some commentary as well just following the announcement. Let's hear Governor Huckabee. Pitch perfect speech. I thought it was constructed brilliantly. He laid out the case for why he needed to run. He announced that he was going to run. But the most important thing he did tonight, he reminded us of why he won in the first place, because he made it about the American people. And he talked about this is not my campaign. This is your campaign. And he said a lot of you are angry about your country. This is the message that if he sticks to it, I believe will make him unbeatable, unbeatable in the primary and unbeatable in the general election. And the reason I say that is because tonight he was not talking to the Liz Cheney wing of the party, which I hope disappears forever. (laughs) We do not need a Republican party that's all about the swells having a nice wine and cheese party in Georgetown. We need a party that fights for working class men and women who come home bone tired from a day's work, having sweated through their clothes. And they know that somebody in a place of power is fighting for them. Tonight, Donald Trump said, I'm that guy. I'll be there for you. I thought it was a brilliant speech. It, 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 was, a, it was a great speech. Can't disagree with him. I mean, that's a solid point that people are yeah. angry because their country is being just hijacked. Mm-hmm. Like, when, when, when do you remember? I mean, obviously, shit's been fucked up for a long time, but like, when do you remember just thinking that the things that your country is doing is so counterproductive and so dangerous and so just it's disabling to the stability of the world, what we're doing? Like when, 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 when would that ever just be a thought? Like, Hey, maybe, maybe you'd think back in the day that like, Oh, you know, maybe it's kind of fucked up. The CIA is like running drugs and, you know, doing this weird shit. But now it's just like, 
We're mm-hmm. literally destabilizing the fucking planet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we certainly are. We saw it that, uh, you know, G20 that Donald Trump talked about in his uh, presidential campaign announcement. We, we saw commitments from people like Joe Biden who said they were willing to print trillions of dollars to fight global warming fucking hell and and agreed to uh like people understand that printing more money is just it's we're digging our own grave yes we're digging a grave and now that it's 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 further than six feet now it's 15 foot deep it's just got 10 feet higher and and they only gave you a six foot string for the little belt (laughs) so you can ring No, it's it's the truth, and they talked about those, uh, you know, international digital passports, and ah, oh, fuck that. So that that's that's a lot of the tone that you know the global. Elites Wasn't are- that a conspiracy? W- weren't we weren't we getting laughed at for for talking about that before? Wasn't that like your conspiracy theory? They don't want to they don't want to take your guns. They don't want to give you a digital ID. They don't want to make you fucking eat the crickets and live in a pod. Like, oh, really? Single thing. Every single thing we said is literally coming and true. And- unfolding right before our eyes and people just ignore it you can post it on social media and people are just like yeah, i'm gonna take a picture of my lunch yeah <laughs> yeah or, i mean right. i've lost i've lost a couple more followers i'm trying to get under 900 on my personal uh oh there you go <laughs> yeah yeah you could also talk about two away you want to talk sure. about the uh trans beauty pageant winner who beat all the smoke shows out <laughs> that'll probably get Jesus. a couple people's hair on fire no but like, about that i was laughing so hard because my husband doesn't really like pay attention to this stuff but he's like did you see that trans whatever it was that won that beauty <laughs> he's like what the fuck for anyone is- that hasn't seen it yet this- and it was it was not to be mean she her him shim whatever he was shim. twice the size you know, <laughs> of all the other contestants. Well, no, this, this, this was... My husband's like, it's like me putting on a dress. My husband's a big guy, big broad shoulder. He looks like, you know, a rugby player. And he's like, it's literally like me putting on a dress and just putting some lipstick on. He didn't even try to look clean. <laughs> yeah, this was an actual, like. And it was 100% progressive pandering. <laughs> Those judges were just like, I have to do this because it's what <laughs> I'm called to do. And this is what the world needs right now the world needs this 300 pound beauty pageant winner and maybe like 250 yeah this was an actual wing of the circuit for the miss america pageant it's ridiculous and the person that won the thing literally looked like spider-man's best friend from the from the movies (laughs) literally the 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 acceptance speech when it won it should have just been have fun getting scholarships for your freaking kids. <laughs> Man in the chair. Um, someone who wasn't appreciative of the Donald Trump announcement really didn't have much commentary on it. You can only guess. China Mitch, he was asked about it at his presser yesterday. Let's hear what he had to say. Mr. Leader, uh, can you respond to former President Trump uh, announcing that he plans to run for re-election? And do you believe that will help or hinder your chances in the Georgia runoff? The way I'm going to go into this presidential primary season is to stay out of it. I don't have uh, a dog in that fight. I think it's going to be a highly contested uh, nomination fight with other candidates entering. And it's all going to be quite good for you all to cover. How do you think it will impact your runoff in Georgia? Do you want former President Trump to come to Georgia? We're going to do everything we can to, uh, to, to get Herschel Walker elected. We can't pretty well determine who's going to come in. Uh, we'll see how that develops. Oh. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. He's, gobble, gobble. 
It must really hurt him to say that because you know he doesn't want Herschel Walker to win. No, not not not, not even remotely. Means. No, no. Right. And and you know people who don't want Donald Trump to win either. Like the, all the former grifters who are out there on cable news networks now. Uh, Morgan Ortega is obviously one of them. Melissa Fair is another. They they they're like the uh, Botox princesses since. Laura Ingram currently holds the crown as queen, um, but she jumped on, well, believe it or not, fake news CNN as someone who worked in the Trump State Department in the administration under, uh, well, I guess fake news Mike Pompeo as well, the stress eater, um, and, and went on to talk about Donald Trump's announcement with the CNN panel. Let's hear her. And while he's trying to do this, started as like, again, sort of professional. He was sort of on script at first, but then just interspersing it with just outright lies, dabbling into conspiracy that maybe China had something to do with the midterms, something I haven't even seen in the dark corners of the Internet. Um, Nobody in the Republican Party, no credible person in the Republican Party wanted this announcement today. But this is going to get legs. We are going to be covering him for the next two years. And again, there's a non-zero chance he could be president Mm -hmm. again. Non-zero chance he'll be president again. So is that a double a double negative? So he's going to be president again? Non-zero? Non-zero. Non-zero. So there's a 0% chance, but not none. So he's going to be president. She just said. It's very clever. <laughs> She's a complete She moron. covered all the bases. My favorite In case is, I'm wrong. No, I said it was non-zero. Is when Amanda Milius bullies her online. <laughs> <laughs> so she was there at Mar-a-Lago as well, and... Uh, obviously endorsed the president and said there's a lot of work to be done. And uh, she had made some comments about Lee Zeldin over the course of the last couple of days too. And I've been quoting all of her tweets and saying, that's fine as long as you're along for the ride, because uh, we need people like her. She was very big component of the Trump state department. And then in 2020 was one of the only people that helped races get close out here in the West. I did see over the course of the last 24 hours as well, very quietly released in a back page op-ed, um, in, in, in the Washington Post. So federal authorities have found no malfeasance with any of the documents related to the Mar-a-Lago raid, believe it or not. No, you don't say. Shocker. Uh, let me guess. They said uh, most of the things were just supposed to be keepsakes yep. and keeping and keeping and were kept with no ill intent. Mm-hmm. Weird. It, I so feel like weird. that's something we said. Mm-hmm. And, and so did everybody else who was directly related to the situation as well. I mean, unless maybe he stole Bill Clinton's cigar. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't that in a glass case on the on the, the, on the the resolute desk? I think it's in the Smithsonian. <laughs> or maybe it has like a little secret compartment. It just pops out like mm. the bat phone. Oh, uh, believe it or not. Break, Joe, Joe, break glass in case of emergency. <laughs> ew. Joe Doucheborough weighed in this morning on uh, his morning show. And uh, talked about the Donald Trump announcement. You can only imagine where some of that narrative will take us. Let's hear it. And if you're a Republican and you'd like to end this losing streak, 18, 20, 22, you don't want him out there yeah, anymore. Yeah, you got to stop the damage. You got to contain it. And I just, I do have to wonder. I, again, we never thought it was going to be a red wave, but I do wonder how much damage was done by Donald Trump putting himself back out there the last week. Everybody talk, remember yeah. John Heilman was talking well, about the discipline that he showed? Yeah. Said Trump had showed discipline uh, over this last stretch by not going out. And then mm-hmm. he came out at the very end. Not only that, two nights in a row or two speeches in a row, he made fun of political violence. He uh. mocked Nancy Pelosi. He mocked Nancy Pelosi's Who husband doesn't? getting his Who head doesn't? smashed in and an act of political violence. 
And I just, again, I, I go back to baseball crank saying that, you know, when, when we're talking about Trump, Democrats win. When we're talking about Biden, Republicans win. Right. And Trump always shifts it to him. And now he's done it yet again for Herschel Walker, a guy that he's selected, a guy who he's scamming off of, making money off of. And now a guy what? who he stepped in when Republicans begged him not to. And now it's probably going to, well, probably going to elect Warnock. That's going to be something that comes about Trump making money off of Herschel Walker, this fucking guy. Well, the good part about having a show that actually provides you with audio digital receipts is that, you know, we've had people on here like Devin Nunes, who had a 21 year stint in Congress as House representative and talked about how, well, I think his exact words were we had been courting Herschel to run for a U.S. House seat for nearly 15 years before he decided to get into the Senate race because they knew how much political capital he brought with him for the state of Georgia. And um, those are just people that, you know, like I said, you're listening to the mainstream media, you're going to get uh, extremely flammable drive-by headlines, and that's all you're going to get. They, they try to worry and doom the best they can. That was a perfect example of it there. And um, you, you really can't take it more than with a grain of salt because that's, that's basically all they want to give you. Um, you know, you, th- this whole thing with the midterm elections and stuff, if, if Herschel Walker wins his runoff race, Donald Trump would be 2-2 two and two in candidates that he endorsed uh, that were set to primary a a sitting Democrat incumbent. Okay, so that's a pretty good record. And then when you line up his overall career win-loss record, uh, you know, throughout the course of his presidency and now in the midterm elections, he's damn well near, if not over 300 total, uh, Mm -hmm. with an extremely small loss margin. And uh, even though some of the bigger ones... You know, the, the the higher profile names did not win in the midterm elections this year. We always have to remind you, I just saw this week, you know, some of this data is coming back. And it's really mind-blowing when we talk about the way we do elections and how we, we need to move in a better direction. 80% of Michigan, 60% of Pennsylvania, 60% of Georgia had, on the Democrat side, those percentages of the entirety of their vote electorate in by the first week of October. Of this year, that's uh, yeah, that's pretty much just mailing it in. Like eighty percent of Michigan Democrats had their votes in before October first. Georgia and Pennsylvania were obviously a little bit after because of when early voting starts. Uh, same thing in in, in you know uh, Arizona. Sixty four percent of Democrats voted before you know um, a well before a month out from when election day was. Definitely before they saw John Fetterman in glistening action yeah so you know that's just uh things to take into consideration they they want to disenfranchise what voting on election day looks like but then they'll go back and talk about only election day when the results come in knowing mm. that they've stacked the chips in their favor like sometimes two months in advance mm. so we, we we need to uh you know you need to understand what they're telling you and how it really needs to get broken down i saw on uh i think it was boomer sweats yesterday monica crowley and jim jordan were on for a panel talking about the trump announcement let's hear them uh weigh in with some commentary before we go back to the president Yeah, isn't it remarkable, Sean and Jim, that on the same night President uh, Trump files and announces for president, the Republicans secured the majority in the House of Representatives. So, look, President Trump has taken a severe pounding over the last seven years. I've never seen anything like it. It is a miracle that the man is still standing. Um, And he's certainly taken a pounding over the last week or so after the midterms. But this man has always put the forgotten 
man and woman first. When he said that line tonight about this is not my campaign, this is our campaign altogether, it reminded me back in 2016 when Mrs. Clinton had a slogan that said, I'm with her. And Trump turned around and said, I'm with you. And that kind of fighting spirit for the American people, and he's, it's not just a campaign promise anymore. He has a long track record of being president, actually delivering for the forgotten man and woman. That's the kind of thing he's resurrecting tonight. He has turned the page on 2020. This was a forward-looking address based on policy and principle and hope for delivering America out of this historic catastrophe known as the Biden presidency. Let's get some quick commentary from I think, uh, well, first of all, inadvertent garrison button. You didn't see where she was going with that, Noah. But, no, I was uh, just I was garrisoning the pounding. Oh, there you go. <laughs> uh, yeah, she, she, she was hitting it pretty hard, and uh, she's got a little shakiness to her voice. She reminds me of all my great aunts. Mm. Um, <laughs> there we go. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think that, uh, you know, Monica kind of hits it on the head. She talks about the forgotten man and woman, the blue-collar middle class people that Donald Trump obviously talks about. We've heard, you know, uh, Governor Huckabee talk about it as well, Jason Whitlock in part of the cold open. And then, you know, we're going to start seeing these people who are already elected officials, ones that enjoyed uh, being part of Trump tickets uh, in years past, jump on board with endorsements. And uh, I think one of the ones I saw that was, was better than average was um, Alabama Senator uh, Tommy Tuberville, who uh, joined the Trump Save America circuit down the home stretch and, uh, you know, gave some pretty fiery speeches in regards to Trump era policies uh, throughout the course of the, you know, midterm election season. And, and we're, we're going to see a lot more of these people who are Trump adjacents uh, jumping in here, I, I feel. Um, you know, we, we've already seen, I think, Senator Kennedy, obviously Jim Jordan, most of the House Freedom Caucus has come out there and already uh, voted uh, or endorsed President Trump. You've got uh, Representative Donalds was in there as well recently. And, and you know, you're going to see these people start piling on as they're starting to uh, build a delegation of people who are going to be working alongside him, heading into the general election season and, and moving forward with endorsing him and, and making sure that he's got a lot of support, which is what he's going to need uh, moving forward. Let's hear the senator from uh, the great state of Alabama. So here we go, Senator. Uh, your reaction, are you going to back Trump for 2024? 100%. Mm. Uh, you know, you look at what he did, Maria, before he was uh, kicked out of office. He, he had this country going in the right direction. He's not a politician. He stood up to the, the mainstream media. They don't like him. Uh, I can understand that. But he stood up for the American people. Look where we're at now. I've been up for two years since President Trump lost. This is devastating. Uh, we just elected this group to run this country again for two more years. We're getting ready. If we're not al already in a recession, it's getting ready to get really bad. You can't run a country or a, uh, this entire planet without fossil fuels. But they're hard-headed enough to try to get it done. The American people elected the Democrats to run, run the government again for two more years. This will be devastating because the replications of what's going to happen, a lot of money's out there. They flushed five, six trillion dollars over our budget into the economy. People felt good about that, had money in their pocket. Yeah. Money's not going to be in their pocket here in a couple of years, and it's going to get really rough. Yeah, well, what's wrong with the Republicans? I mean, they can't stick together. Mitch McConnell, uh, you know, uh, holding the purse strings throughout the whole campaign. Yeah, that's something that we're going to have to look at moving forward as well because, you know, it's one of the biggest problems that we, we outlined there. And as we uh, shift gears, because I did tease, it wasn't the only announcement um, 
that happened over the course of the last 48 hours. There were some big ones up on Capitol Hill yesterday. But before we get to the actual announcement, let's hear about all the serious business that was going on up on Capitol Hill yesterday. Madam Speaker, I rise today in honor of Transgender Awareness Week. Trans Americans made history this year by running and winning in more elections than ever before. Breakthrough representations in media have led to historic numbers of transgender and non-binary characters on screen. In many ways, transgender Americans are more visible than ever. And at the same time, the trans community has been forced to withstand severe attacks. From laws that would strip fundamental rights to dehumanizing vitriol deployed by elected officials and public figures. These attacks treat trans people as threats to society rather than neighbors, parents, children, friends, and loved ones. There are more than two million people in the United States that identify as transgender or non-binary. Trans Americans exist in all walks of life, all across the country. This Transgender Week, I call on my colleagues to turn awareness into action. And to the trans community, you have allies in Congress. And let it be known that there's been no greater friend of trans people in this country or LGBTQ people than Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Oh, and we will not Caesar cease me to fight, protect, and advocate for our transgender siblings, Expired. not just this week, but all year long. Mm, I, I wasn't sure what that clip was initially. I was waiting for the punchline. Serious business. Oh. Serious business. That's oh, a, really? It's on the, the floor of the Senate. Pandering. Mm-hmm. Like pandering with a capital P. P-, 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 P- 0.6% of the population. No one cares. Florida Senate. No Florida one cares. Go do whatever you want to do. Leave me alone. I don't okay. care. I don't I care. Have, just leave me alone. Husband yesterday, too. It's just so ridiculous at this point. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It certainly is. Um, just, just go live your life. Be happy. <laughs> Be happy. Don't make me unhappy by you needing me to participate in your life just coming across the wire right now we're in the uh nearly the 11 o'clock hour out here on the west coast on friday u.s attorney general merrick garland just announced that the uh department of justice is coming to a decision soon on whether or not to create charges related to multiple department of justice probes into donald trump that's literally the headline that just came across charges yeah what my God. Who knows? <clears throat> Speaking of someone that would usually be at the tip of the spear of that bullshit, uh, soon to be former Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, had a big announcement yesterday. Let's hear the Wicked Witch of the West. When I first came to the floor at six years old, never would I have thought that someday Her I would go from homemaker oh. to House Speaker. In fact, I never. What <laughs> <laughs> a turkey? In fact, I never intended to run for public office. I wish, wish you hadn't. Mommy and Daddy taught us through their example that public service is a noble calling and that we all have a responsibility to help others. Oh. In our family, my brother Tommy then became mayor of Baltimore also. But it's mm-hmm. my, been my privilege to play a part in forging extraordinary progress for the American people. I have enjoyed working with three presidents achieving historic investments in clean energy with President George Bush. Transformative health care reform with President Barack Obama. (laughs) 
encouraging and forging the future oh, from infrastructure to health care to climate action with President Joe Biden. I thought she was going to say foraging for berries in the jungle. She's forgetting the president. I can't remember who it would be. Yeah, which one? Now we must move boldly into the future, grounded by the principles that have propelled us this far and open to fresh possibilities for the future. Scripture teaches us mm, that for everything, really? there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. My friends, no matter what title you all, my colleagues have bestowed upon me, speaker, leader, whip, there is no greater official honor for me than to stand bitch. on this floor and to speak for the people of San Francisco. Oh, God. This I will continue to do as a member of the House, speaking for the people of San Francisco, serving the great state of California, and defending our Constitution. And with, with great confidence button. in our caucus, I will not seek re-election to Democratic leadership in the next Congress. Here, here. For me, the hours come for a new generation to lead the Democratic caucus that I so deeply respect. And I'm grateful that so many are ready and willing to shoulder this awesome responsibility. Madam Speaker, standing here today, I'm endlessly grateful for all of life's blessings. For my Democratic colleagues whose courage and commitment with the support of your families have made many of these accomplishments possible. In what fact, is that noise? Could is she not fucking have been whittling a fucking you. pipe right now? She's, She's shaking the podium because she keeps moving her hands around. For my dear husband, Paul, who has been my beloved partner in life and my pillar of support. Blech. Thank you. We're all grateful for all the prayers and well wishes as he continues his recovery. I Thank you so much. present you with this gold-plated hammer and as a symbol of my appreciation. This rubber hammer. Gold-plated gavel? A rubber hammer. Mm. It's pink. Mm. All right, that's enough of that. Her fucking weird, like, yodel giggle gobble gobble that she's doing. It's funny. She, she, it's weird. She looks and sounds exactly like my grandma. Because my grandma was a hundred-year-old Italian woman too. They have the same hair, same body shape. Faces are obviously different, but they even shaky hand talk, and then the little gobble waddle thing they got going, and and the like self giggling. My towards the end, that's how my grandma would talk. She, would, mm. but uh, you know, it's thank God she's not going to be involved in leadership. It looked like a current House member who sits on the House Judiciary Committee on the Democrat side, Hakeem Jeffries, is going to be moving into her spot there, probably into a Democrat leadership. And I still speculate that Nancy Pelosi probably will be stepping away from Congress as a whole at some point in the next year. We know Joe Biden has floated ambassadorship to Italy uh, out there, or, or, you know, it just might not be worth it. We have to see how this current House that's coming into the next Congress is going to be. Uh, we, we've, we've seen a lot of stuff going on in regards to challenges to leadership. We've got some new developments today on Friday, which I saw this morning on the news, which I think are amazing, uh, coming from the House Freedom Caucus in regards to Kevin McCarthy versus Andy Biggs. And, uh, uh, no one better than to uh, montage it into the sunset was uh, Tucker Carlson last night, who who wanted to take a take on some of Nancy Pelosi's greatest hits. Let's wrap up News 1 with uh, the Tucked one.
So Republicans, we learned last night, will control the House of Representatives come January, and that means that 82-year-old Nancy Pelosi will not be the Speaker of the House anymore, no longer third from the presidency. Today she announced she will not seek a new leadership role in the new Congress. With great confidence in our caucus, I will not seek re-election to Democratic leadership in the next Congress. For me, the hours come for a new generation to lead the Democratic caucus that I so deeply respect. And I'm grateful that so many are ready and willing to shoulder this awesome responsibility. Well, obviously, this moment calls for a Pelosi tribute. We could have gone hours. We have that much <laughs> tape, but we got it down to just a few moments. Here are just a few of her greatest hits. To be clear, you're not taking any arrows out of your quiver. You're not ruling anything out. Good morning. Sunday morning. <laughs> and as a Catholic, I resent your using the word hate in a sentence that addresses me. I don't hate anyone. I was raised in a way that is full, a heart full of love and always prayed for the president. With all due respect, and you know we've known each other a long time, you really don't know what you're talking about. Her ripping up the State of the Union or, you know, wishing she could punch Just Donald Trump. Just when you Trump. think you've seen it all. The children will pay for the president's wall. He comes in with doggy do on his shoes, and everybody who <laughs> works with him has that on their shoes too for a very long time. Did they to step come. on it in your office on January 6th? Nah. Ireland's sorrow and pain is now the Ukraine, mm. and St. Patrick's name is now Zelensky. I forgot about that one. That's bad. We do not say open sesame. <laughs> we say open Biden. Oh. That's our magic word. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> open Biden. I love it. <laughs> oh, Tucky was open borders. He was before a live audience last night. He also sat on the uh, very uncomfortable the whole time because, you know, they go off the rails. The round table that they have on Gutfeld afterwards. Um just in case you missed it last night, I mean, I only watch it when they have decent guests. I watched it because Tucky was on Gutfeld, and they kept throwing it back to him, asking about, like, fucking aliens and all this other weird bullshit. And uh, you could see that it was not in his wheelhouse, even though he did do the documentary on it about the cows getting turned inside out. And uh, it made for some good. Tyrus was really helping them all pull the segment back to uh, normalcy at several points, believe it or not. <laughs> But, yeah, that's where we're at. So, you know, Donald Trump has announced his candidacy for the 2024 presidential election. Nancy Pelosi is now have been defeated. I just saw they made it official finally. Lauren Boebert's Colorado three house race was called today. There is going to be a recount, but she still is up by a favorable margin. Uh, the AP has called the race for her. So she's won re-election. We are currently sitting at 219 seats on the Republican side to 211 on the Democrat. And then obviously the U.S. Senate is 50-49 Democrat with the Herschel Walker runoff um, coming into you know, up on December 6th. So we'll just have to see what happens, who's going to be involved and, and where exactly we go from here. Joining us next on the show today, he works on tech policy at the Heritage Foundation. He's one of our good friends. Looking forward to having an awesome conversation with him, Mr. Jake Denton. Thanks for joining us on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me back. How's everything going on your end? Uh, just for our listening audience today, he's got the upgraded podcast studio today. You'll hear that studio quality sound. Sounds great. Looks great. 
Yeah, no, it's uh, it's good to be in the studio. You know, it feels a little more polished, you know, getting out that good product. Uh, things are going good. I uh, Since the last time I was on, I was banned on Twitter and then restored on Twitter. Uh, so, you know, that was a, a good little chapter there. And uh, obviously we've had some uh, some crazy tech developments that have been keeping us busy, you know, from Elon all the way to FTX now. So, uh, yeah, staying busy out here. We're going to hit on all those. What do you think the current dynamic of the of the tech landscape is right now and how is that going to affect moving forward uh, conservatives, let's just say for the 2024 election cycle? Well, I think we're starting to see that Silicon Valley is in a very unstable state, you know, whether it be Twitter kind of shaking things up in terms of not only personnel related uh, kind of policy um, to, you know, FTX proving that the VC scene is kind of compromised. You know, you have Sequoia Capital funding like a totally fraudulent business. Um, So I think it's bringing a lot of questions to just the legitimacy of these operations, you know, both business wise and just their functionality. Um, there's a reason that, you know, Elon comes in, fires everybody, and then Google, Amazon, all these places start laying people off. Um, it's the first person to come in and disrupt things. Um, and I think it's going to carry over. Um, I think we're going to look at a very different Silicon Valley and tech sector heading into 24 and beyond. Yeah, it's definitely uh, been a wild time to see all of these guys finally get what they deserve after what's happened since, you know, Trump announced in 2015. And then you, you really start to see the social media repression was pretty much at all time highs. Now uh, finally starting to loosen up a little bit. What can you say outside looking in about what's going on over at Twitter? It's just a wild situation. Like I feel like Elon probably has more control than he's letting on to. And a lot of the people who are getting fired from there are making the situation seem worse. I mean, he did tweet yesterday and, and showed some receipts on, on usage for the app being at an all time high. He also tweeted late last night, a picture of like him with the, Twitter logo over his face, like doing the peace sign at the grave for Twitter. And I thought that was an absolute Chad move by him, but uh, he's kind of rubbing it in the face of all these people who are saying it's going to be just a bad investment and an ultimate failure. I, I don't necessarily think it is, but how do you look at it? Yeah, I think, you know, the outrage from the employees, it's a good representation of what regime change looks like. Yeah. I mean, for a lot of us, uh, the 2015, 2016 Trump transition is a distant memory now. But if you recall, there was, you know, similar kind of, whether it be the State Department or other, you know, big state uh, kind of entities, you had bureaucrats kind of tweeting out and uh, showing their outrage and undermining the Trump agenda. It's the exact same thing we're seeing here. It doesn't kind of invalidate what Elon's plans for the platform are. It just kind of reaffirms them. Uh, These changes are long overdue. Getting rid of these people is going to help the platform. It just takes time, Um, you know, so it's important he sticks to his guns and uh, follows through with these personnel changes. And, you know, we're storing free speech to the platform. Um, But you're going to have to endure a lot of these uh, kind of rogue uh, coders that have lived in a fantasy world for the last, you know, six to 10 years. Um, It's time for things to change. And I think he's going to bring that change. I think so as well. It might not always be exactly the way we want it or how we might have hypothesized about it going in. Like he did announce today that full features for, you know, some accounts like the Babylon Bee were going to be restored, but he didn't also make an official statement that saying Alex Jones will not be allowed back to the platform. That's just in the last 30 minutes I saw. So, you know, we'll have to see. I I think that, uh, moving forward now, one of the things I wanted to ask you about it, we talked about it in, in our messages yesterday, So 
we've seen a lot of conservatives kind of abandon these mainstream platforms. Let's just say Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter for the likes of like true social gab and getter. Although those places are good. Anyone who frequents them enough will see that they can be very echo chamberish a lot. And when it gets to getting the message out there for, let's just say walkaways, independents, and uh, you know, moderate Republicans, they're not going to be able to reach them like they can moving forward and looking at the 2020 general election cycle. Do you think that, you know, traditional Republicans, let's just say presidential nominees even, are going to have to return to these mainstream platforms to get their message out there and have a success rate in the elections that uh, they probably aren't going to have if they don't? Yeah, so I think it's important to differentiate between the two populations. You had the people that were forced off of these platforms, right? You had President Trump removed from Twitter, Facebook, all those. Um, And then you had the individuals who left by choice. Those people who left by choice have no excuse. They really should have remained on these platforms and continuing to push the message. Uh, It's ultimately a battleground for these ideas, right? I mean, if we seed Twitter, if we seed Facebook, there's no shot for us to win over moderates or to, you know, bring people into the conservative movement. Uh, We just kind of accept the fact that they're out there on their own and no one's going to shepherd them along, um, which means the left's going to take them, right? So it's uh, it's a necessity for us to exist in these spaces. We can't just talk amongst ourselves. Um, but for those individuals who have been taken off the platforms by force, you know, banned, suppressed, whatever it may be, um, they have a little bit of a more difficult situation. They have to decide um, the most effective means by which they continue to message. Uh, so for Trump, that's truth social. And I think he's had a great deal of success, but it's will never be to the scale um, that he had on Twitter. Right. That's an international reach versus more of a domestic to the yeah. base reach. Um, so ultimately, I mean, you have to figure out how to break through these restraints of Silicon Valley. Um, hopefully Elon lets these folks back. But as you mentioned, um, Alex Jones, like, yeah, he was conspiratorial. I think he still has a very strong case to exist on the platform. Um, you know, I think uh, what he said and, you know, what he was taken off for, I don't even recall. But um, it's hard to see how he has less of a, you know, less merit to be on the platform than any of these leftist accounts that are, you know, posting all sorts of things about conservatives. Right. So um, I just think the content policies have a long way to go. And, you know, Elon's really got to make sure we don't get another version of Facebook or Yoel Roth's Twitter. No, that's, that's pretty much it because uh, once you start making, you know, accommodations for one person and not for the other, I mean, I, I guess maybe you could look at part of the argument is that let's just say you wipe Alex Jones completely everything is all about off. Say he was convicted of whatever in civil court for the the Sandy Hook thing. I guess that could be one knock. But then when you look at some of the absolute, like you mentioned, outrageous stuff that the radical progressives put out there on almost a regular basis, like things all the way from COVID stuff all the way up through like the amount of people that died and who killed them on January 6th, which is completely untrue. But, you know, they're, they're allowed to say these things. Mainstream media news outlets will clip their, their audios and videos and put them all over the place and, and let, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people to share them. And then, like you said, you just talked about the reach, obviously, with, uh, you know, True Social still slow to get out internationally and, uh, you know, fortifying their their domestic in the certain countries, the UK and Canada that they're open in now that caters more towards the base, obviously, than it does international reach, which, uh, you know, you want to be able to get that message out because then it just gets amplified and more eyes and more people will see it. So I definitely think it's one of the big things moving forward that we're going to see how everybody, all the major players in the game are going to be re- reacting to what's going on, especially over at Twitter. Now, one of the things I want to talk about, it's kind of like just getting into it with our listening audience. I don't think there's probably anybody who could unpack it for us as better than you, is this whole FTX collapse. Um, I know it's kind of a developing story, and they're still trying to find out what parts of it are actually real. I know that initially everybody just said, you know, it was like 
donors or like you know the Bitcoin operation to you know uh, Ukraine and then back. Like I'm, I really have. I'm waiting for more concrete evidence to come out to see where this money went. But this looks like it's definitely connected to the Democrat Party and is probably going to be a bigger story than a lot of the mainstream media outlets are alluding to at this time. What have you been able to unpack on it so far as, as you've started to look into it? Yeah, so it's been a whirlwind and you really have to uh, give credit to these like Twitter journalists, right? Not like the establishment Twitter journalists, but these kind of independent, usually anonymous accounts that have dug deep into the story. Um, that's where all of the information has come from. And it's almost all been verified as true. Um, so essentially what we have here is Sam Bankman-Fried founds Almeida Capital. Almeida Capital spins into FTX uh, sort of, right? It's almost like a parent company now of FTX um, starting around 2019. FTX overnight success, right? It's We've never seen anything like it from Sequoia Capital to Tom Brady. Everyone's lining up behind this thing. Um, and it just rises to almost a monopoly level uh, within the United States. Everyone is using it as their primary crypto exchange. Um, and then right after the election day, it collapses. And we're trying to sort through the rubble here. Um, but kind of what we found is that, uh, you know, customers put their funds onto FTX, FTX transfers those funds to Almeida Capital. Mm -hmm. Almeida Capital then loans those funds to Sam Bankman-Fried. Sam Bankman-Fried then donates those funds to far-left causes, uh, whether that be political action packs that his family runs. Uh, so something like uh, Mind the Gap, which his mother runs. It's the largest uh, pack out of Silicon Valley. Yep. They're usually looking at a war chest of around 200 to $300 million that goes exclusively to leftist candidates. Um, his brother, who I exposed on uh, earlier this week for working for Sean Kasten, a member of the Financial Services Committee, um, he actually now runs a, a similar type of far left pack uh, called something like Preventing Future Pandemics. Um, <laughs> Which it's ah. like you couldn't couldn't even make this stuff up, right? Um, believe it or not, his aunt actually worked for the World Economic Forum handling pandemic preparedness. Oh, great. Um, Perfect. It's like this family, like, it's almost uh, eerily similar to the Biden family, right? It was like, you know, one person succeeds and then everyone gets these like shady back end deals um, to where they can, you know, profit themselves. Um, there's a funny article in around 2020 from Vox talking about how is this Barbara Freed woman, this obscure Stanford law professor running, you know, these biggest packs in Silicon Valley. Um, and then we all come to find out, oh, that's actually Sam's mom. And, you know, she's a uh, basically a benefactor of this uh, corruption here in Washington. But uh, I think across the board, what we're seeing here is this wasn't a company. This wasn't like a legitimate business operation. This was just a money laundering criminal enterprise. Um, they, they didn't take bookkeeping. In their day one affidavit, they couldn't even present the employees that work at the company. There's no records of anyone working there. Uh, there's no uh, bookkeeping on what bank accounts they had open. It's like completely illegitimate. Um, so I think we need to all push on this. Uh, you know, we can't let anyone escape uh, from the implications here. Uh, if you took money, you know, if you were uh, taking lobbying meetings, uh, you need to answer for this. Uh, you should never have platformed these people. Yeah, I, I I just look at the situation, and it's part of the reason why I haven't been able to, like, deep dive into it. I just go back, and I start watching sound clips of this guy's interviews and his girlfriend, and they are just hot messes. And when you talk about the amount of money that exchange hands between his organization and the Democrat Party, the potential for it is just astronomical. I mean, I know they're already looking to investigate the Biden crime family uh, once the new Congress is, is sworn in in the beginning of January, but this can't be too far behind it. 
No, and it's really difficult for me to see a world in which we escape from this story, right? I mean, I think they're already showing signs that they want to. You have the New York Times giving them a puff piece, uh, you know, saying it just grew too fast, but he's still a genius. Uh, you know, there's no shortage of these accolades floating around of his intellect and his business uh competence. Um, but at the end of the day, this was a giant fraud. Um, you know, he's speaking with, uh, at an event with Mike Pence, uh, secretary Yellen, mm -hmm. right? Like these big establishment folks. Um, and that can't be excused. I mean, this guy is legitimately a criminal. Um, he's probably going to zoom in from the Bahamas, uh, cause he can't be in the U S cause you'll get <laughs> instantly arrested. Yeah. The New York times is platforming him. Um, <clears throat> so that's like a, it's an issue that we really need to kind of dive into here um, and not let people escape it. Congressman Nels is doing a great job in terms of keeping the pressure up. Um, I think he's really going to spearhead this. Um, but yeah, all hands on deck for this, for sure. No, it's definitely something that and, and that's the best part about it, where, you know, we're going to go back and look probably decades into the Biden crime family once Congress is sworn in in January. This is a lot fresher stuff just in the last couple of years and how fast it grew, how fast the money changed hands. It shouldn't be that hard to go and find stuff in, in this digital age on on something like what happened at at FTX. And it's just absolutely crazy about how it just spiraled out of control and then evaporated almost overnight, like you said. Now, Jake, the last thing I want to touch with you on, it's pretty important moving down the road here. We were talking about general election campaign before uh, we started recording today. Moving forward, tech policy is going to be a huge part of anyone who's deciding to throw their name in the ring for 2024. President Trump already announced, as you uh, well know, on Tuesday of this week. So, you know, being up in, in and cutting edge in the digital age is something that he's going to want to be at the forefront of. What is some of the stuff that you're excited to be working on tech policy wise moving forward as we're getting ready to kick off the general election season already still in 2022? Yeah, I mean, there's no shortage of things for us to tackle at this point, right? We have privacy legislation that is pending, uh, you know, votes on the floor. We have the merger filing fee modernization act, which we previously, I think have talked about on this show that still needs a vote in the Senate. Um, you know, we have all sorts of uh, antitrust related pieces of legislation that we can push through. Um, so I think the big focus here um, and what I'm kind of most eager to do is expand this uh, tough on tech coalition. Uh, you know, when we tried to pass the merger filing fee modernization act, mm -hmm. we only got roughly 40 Republicans. Uh, you know, that's inexcusable. The coalition needs to be much bigger. Um, I think. You know, if you're campaigning on these issues, if you're messaging, you know, if you're getting on Fox News and telling folks that you're the tough on tech guy, uh, you have to own up to it and you actually have to vote that way. So, you know, making sure these members understand what's in these bills, how it affects their constituents is definitely like the top priority for us heading into uh, the next Congress. And um, there's, you know, just a ton of great bills for us to get behind. So, you know, making sure these freshman members really hit the ground running is a, is a top priority for sure. No, I love it. And uh, it's like you said, I, I'm just using my own uh, basis here, but I think more than 40 Congress people will be uh, looking to jump on board with this next time you guys are proposing something similar, probably something better after all the crap we've seen over the course of the last just a few years now. Jake, we want to be able to direct all of our listenership to follow you. If they're not already on social medias, obviously direct them over to the Heritage Foundation. We'll link everything in the show description today. Yeah, no, I'm uh, at real, the letter J Denton on Twitter. I'm back and I'm active. You know, they let me out of Twitter jail. Uh, I've also, in the meantime, since being banned, made a true social account. So you can find me over there at Jake Denton, just my name. Uh, but yeah, those are my platforms. You can find me on the Heritage website. I'll be covering this FTX stuff uh, for as long as it keeps coming. So uh, if you're curious about the uh, political implications and kind of the, the corruption here, give me a follow and uh, it'll, content will keep coming. Quickly has become one of our favorite guests doing 
tech policy over at the Heritage Foundation. Mr. Jake Denton, thanks for coming back on Steak for Breakfast today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. You have to beat them at their own game. And, and we just have not done that. And this comes back to your, your leadership point, right? Mm. Is, that, is that what Donald Trump really should do uh, right now about that failure of leadership coming from the RNC, in particular in dealing with these sorts of things, is he should march into the RNC with his people, say, we're coming in here, we want to audit the systems here, find out whether you guys are even playing the same game as the other side. Because they're not, by the way, John, they're not. Uh, They're not playing the same game digitally, in digital ads. They're not playing the same game in terms of how much money they spend, how it's deployed. They're not playing the same game in terms of their gal, the vote operation. So Trump should take a team into the RNC. He should then come back out the next day and say, "Okay, look, we had a look around. We wanted to make sure that this operation was running correctly for when I'm the nominee. And he'll say it's not running correctly. And therefore, we feel like new leadership is necessary. And if if they don't want to change the leadership, what they have to do is Trump should appoint a people's champion of his choosing to go and sit in the RNC every day like a like a. you know, like the financial firms in London have an ombudsman sitting in there every single day and just calling calling flags every single day and saying this is not the way this thing should be done. Because the problem is right now it's it's an echo chamber in there. Mm-hmm. It's an echo chamber on Capitol Hill, certainly an echo chamber in the RNC. And all of them will protect one another and they'll certainly all protect Ronna McDaniel because they know if she goes, the entire staffing apparatus in that place goes, all of the consultants that they use goes, all of the lawyers that they use goes, you know, so there is an industry now that is interested in keeping Ronna Romney McDaniel in situ over at the RNC. So you're right. The road to 270 is extraordinarily hard. I will remind the audience that it's just as hard for any other candidate on the right that it would be for Donald Trump. Um, that is right. that is maths that, that currently, I'm afraid, doesn't add up. That's some hard truths and apparatus appreciator. Mm. Good friend Raheem Kassam on the John Frederick show yesterday talking about the apparatuses, the echo chamber, (laughs) and uh, well, non work for the American people that they're doing over there. And uh, I don't necessarily disagree with it. Listen, for for two trips down to Mar a Lago in the last two weeks, I definitely think that uh, Mr. Kassam has had some FaceTime with uh, Papa T. And uh, if you're you're pretty naive to think that some of those ideas that he's been talking about on everywhere from this show to John Fredericks and beyond aren't some of the ones that he's pumping into Donald Trump's ear, knowing how difficult the pathway is for Republican candidates uh, to get to that 270 mark. What do you think, Noah? It says a lot of truths there and uh, definitely is something that um, you have to take into consideration. His analysis is usually pretty spot on. Like what, mm-hmm. what he's saying makes makes sense. Uh he he makes references to similar things that, that are easy to understand. Like he's he's squared away. Answer that. What were you gonna say? No, I said I agree. He's usually spot on and on point, and I'm, I mean, he breaks it down always very well. Yeah, for as brilliant as he is to be able to use terminology like leadership and the people's champion <laughs> when talking about the the overwhelming deficiencies at the at the GOP and the RNC, then uh, no one does it better than Mr. Raheem Kassam. I saw this morning. Um, Arizona Congressman, Freedom Caucus member, challenger for Speaker of the House, Representative Andy Biggs, uh, jumped on with Fox News to talk about, speaking of deficiencies, the number that Kevin McCarthy doesn't have to get to 218. We see 
with Lauren Boebert's confirmed win today. That brings us up to 219 House representatives. I'm still thinking 221 is the magic number for us. But uh, let's hear Representative Biggs talk about uh, what's going on with the McCarthy vote right now. We don't know if he's going to uh, fight this administration with everything that he has, every tool that he has. We, we don't know if he's going to use every leverage point. We don't know what the policies are that he's going to advocate for. And quite frankly, we just don't know what we, what's, what's going to go on with him as the Speaker of the House. And that needs to be determined. And I think what, we, what you saw today was well beyond the Freedom Caucus. Um, because you had a few members of Freedom Caucus that supported him, but you had other members who didn't support him who were not members of the Freedom Caucus. So it's, it's, it's a long way to get to 218, and he doesn't have it yet. No, he doesn't, and I don't know if he's ever going to get there at this rate. That's, that's a hill I wouldn't mind dying on, having somebody else besides Kevin McCarthy as speaker. Do we eventually have him make enough concessions and then go public about it that he's tolerable enough to get that vote? Who knows? Uh, but as it stands right now, he's well short of the 218 mark with just 219 Republican House representatives. Um, we're going to kind of news mash it up for our last segment here. Obviously, you heard about some of the RNC's deficiencies. That's some stuff we've been covering in extent uh, since the midterm elections, and we'll continue to do so. Um, I saw Governor DeSantis was out talking about some of this fabricated GOP civil war that's going on right now. And uh, although he stayed above the back-and-forth fray between his big donors and Donald Trump, um, they're going to keep asking him about it until he weighs in. So he did this morning from a speaking event. Let's hear him. I think we, we just we just finished this election, okay? People just need to chill out a little bit on some <laughs> of this stuff. I mean, seriously, we just ran an election. We have this Georgia runoff coming, which is very important for Republicans to win that Georgia runoff. I mean, I know around the country, uh, Florida was kind of the, the biggest bright spot. It was not so bright in many other parts of the country. It was, a, it, was a, it was a substandard performance given the dynamics that are at play. So hopefully we'll be able to be able to do that. But I think what people like me who've been given the opportunity to continue is, okay, uh, let's do something with that. And the reason why we won historic victory is at the end of the day, we led, we delivered, and we had your back when you needed us. That, that is why we won big. It's like a minute-long clip. 30 seconds of it is, I don't want that smoke. 30 seconds of it is, I want that smoke. Yeah. Mm. I mean, it was... Careful. A state track record is really hard to run on in the national level. Does that message that resonates in Florida, all those Latina voters that he brought in over the course of the election season, does that resonate in the Rust Belt and the Bible Belt up in the Blue Wall states? It's yet to be determined. We've only seen it done once, and that was in 2016. Um, part of me right now, if I had to just say moral compass-wise, I say he doesn't run. Noah, I know you're a he-doesn't-runner. I, I don't think he should. I don't think it's time. I think if he does, it's going to be counterproductive to the cause. It's going to split the ticket. It's I mean, the people the people who are pushing for him to do it are, if they're on the Republican side, they're being pushed by the people who want Trump to fail. Mm -hmm. And if they're on the Democrat side, 
they want him to run because they want Trump to fail. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, it's the same, right. it's the same team, same outcomes. Uh, it's counterproductive. It's just, you know, it, it's, it's not going to help anything. Antoinette, what do you think? Do you think he's a runner, non-runner, or are you still on the fence? No, I mean, I've said it before. It's not the right time. It's not his time. I think he needs to stay where he's at. Florida needs him more than, more than he should be running. And like Noah said, it would completely split the ticket and it would make, you know, he'd be counterproductive for one, two. He's not ready. It's just, I don't see it. Yeah, I'd hate to see it at a presidential level. And not wanting to run and not thinking he's going to run are two different things too. Cause I mean, the way the All world right. the way the world has been recently, he probably will. Yeah. No, I agree with you uh, on that point at least. I I would just hate to see the MAGA electorate. Not... I just don't see him doing something like that. Yeah. I mean that's where I kind of stand now. Uh, what would be really cool, I mean, you know, knows, if you if, if you... it's not the right time. I don't think he's gonna sit here and like sabotage you know, our party, Mm -hmm. there's a lot more. It's very important that if Trump is running, everybody on our side backs him. Yeah. Yeah. The faster he comes out and says he isn't is the faster he'll realize that those billionaires who are backing him, the Ken Griffins, the Rupert Murdoch's and evaporation. Yeah. They, they just will no longer support him because he won't be their horse in the race and they'll move, they'll move on to the next grifter, which would probably be Glenn Youngkin who would lose even worse to Donald Trump because he's not a great debater. And then speaking of purely hypotheticals in that situation where what if he was just dragging it out, dragging it out, dragging it out, and then just fully endorsed Trump at the end or, or vice versa, Mm -hmm. which I don't really think would happen, but no, it's interesting to see. He did mention that Senate race. There is a big one in Georgia, and the balance of power in the Senate right now sits at 50 Democrat, 49 Republican with the Herschel Walker runoff coming on December 6th. What possibly, we've already heard on the House side yesterday before Nancy Pelosi's speech what's on the Democrats' agenda moving forward, and that's trans rights. Uh, what could the Senate side be working about that's, like, comprehensively amazing for the American people? Senator Schumer was outside Capitol Hill yesterday. Let's hear what he had to say. I can't wait. Now more than ever, we're short of workers. Uh, we have a population that is not reproducing it on its own with the same level that it used to. The only way we're going to have a great future in America is if we welcome and embrace immigrants, the dreamers, and all of them, because our ultimate goal is to help the dreamers but get a path to citizenship for all 11 million or however many undocumented there are here. Or however many. We all know it's north of 30 million. Yeah, I mean, 11? That's a that's, that's, that's a that's, 1990s reference right there. That's... Yeah, laughable, Mm -hmm. just knowing what we know what's going on right now. The offspring were on the radio. Maybe he just means the ones that came in this year. You could still watch Headbangers Ball at night. Ooh, remember when MTV had music videos? Mm -hmm. Well, that's that's pretty much when there was 11 million illegals in the country. So, yeah, so that's what your uh, senators on the Democrat side are looking forward to. As, As we've always said, comprehensive immigration reform means blanket amnesty bigger than reagan amnesty it's ridiculous and 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 there is no escape um as much as i'd like to hope that joe biden doesn't have much of escape after this new congress is sworn in in january yesterday they broke out in the morning um from their pregame huddle and decided to have a press conference on just some of the things they'll be looking speaking of investigations which will be the theme for the remainder of the show from here on out looks like after 
they're sworn in in January. Let's hear Representative Comer. The report, or SAR, is a document a bank must file with the Treasury Department when a transaction is suspected to be related to money laundering or fraud or other types of criminal activity. According to media reports, the Biden family accumulated over 150 SARs. One SAR generated by an American bank to the Treasury Department connects Hunter Biden and his business associates to international human trafficking, among other illegal activities. The money that was being made from foreign principals in the same room as Joe Biden was increasingly spent on furthering illegal activity. Mm. The SARs show that Hunter Biden was conducting business with suspected human traffickers. Mm. The money gained through influence peddling was function was funneled to a suspected criminal enterprise, again, one linked to human trafficking. We have repeatedly called on the Biden Treasury Department to release additional financial documents to committee Republicans, but thus far Treasury has refused. We want to know what the Biden administration is trying to hide from the American people and why they are not being transparent. We also found evidence Hunter Biden sought to evade these SARS using his financial advisor, coincidentally a Clinton administration official. We will continue to pursue all evidence and specifically the SARS and bank records in the new Congress. As part of our investigation, we have evidence that the finances, credit cards, and bank accounts of Hunter and Joe Biden were commingled, mm. if not shared. And on some accounts, at least, red flags were raised by banks to the account owner or owners indicating suspicious or illegal activity. One of Hunter's closest associates, Eric Sherwin, was accessing Joe Biden's money and writing checks to reimburse Hunter. Sherwin arranged the Biden's international deals around the world. At the same time, he was a frequent visitor to the White House and Joe Biden during the Obama administration, visiting close to 30 times and sometimes with international business partners and Hunter according to Hunter's calendar. That is the uh, part of the the speech, the layout for the investigation into the Biden crime family. Well, it just shows, I mean, the fact that this is being allowed to happen, that there is no chance for him to run again, and they're going to feed him to the wolves before oh, the yeah. election. Yeah, he will be. He's, he's, he's literally just going to get dragged through the muck. I mean, he he was already in the muck, but, like, it's going to be visible now. Kamala, too. They're done. Yeah, it's going to be pretty awesome watching them. Uh, well, Joe Biden's <laughs> favorability rating today came in at a whopping 46%. I don't know how it even exists. Well, it's real numbers. Though. Right. Real numbers. If, if, if it's 46, if it's less than 50, then it is a drastically lower number than that. Well, that's the thing. You, you, you want to know what's funny. We, we talk about some of the great guests that we have on our show. And a guy who I just think is brilliant, I have that most respect for him, was you know someone who you just heard was Josh Hammer. And here's the fact of the matter. You know, he starts talking about those polls that have DeSantis up favorability-wise and, and candidate quality when you compare him and Donald Trump, right? Those are the same polls that three weeks ago they were telling us Kerry Lake was up by 11% in the fucking Arizona gubernatorial election. You know, these, they're literally the same pollsters. Yeah. So they're going to feed you. They feed you what you want, and then they give you nothing. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's funny that we'll rely on some things that we know just like two weeks ago literally snapped the back uh, of, you know, some of the biggest horses in the midterms. But uh, Jim Jordan would follow, and, you know, he's salivating to be the head of the Judiciary Committee after the start of the new year. Let's hear about some of the stuff that he's looking uh, coming off the back of Representative Comer. Operation, well, first, they haven't, they haven't responded to any of the correspondence, any of the letters, any of the inquiries that came from, from Ranking Member Comer. Uh, second, they changed the suspicious activity report process and protocol. And third, they've now set up a committee, according to reporter, I don't know, maybe they're in this room, uh, the report in Politico, 
that said, oh, they set up a committee to attack us and to come after us. So, I don't know, you guess. They're probably not going to work with us too well. Because they certainly haven't. They've done things that really are unprecedented, changing the SARS and setting up the, I mean, that's pretty impressive. Should President Biden be forced to come and testify? Look, I would, I would say one other thing. What, one of the most important things we can, I guess I've said it a couple times, one of the most important things we can do is, is do the work that needs to be done so that we can hopefully have a Justice Department that doesn't operate in a political fashion. That's, that's my focus. I think it's everyone's focus. So I think that's pretty darn important to the American people. Mr. George, just a quick, a quick follow-up question on that particular point. Um, there's Maine Justice, and then there's Mr. Weiss in Delaware, who, as you know, was appointed by President Trump and initiated this investigation under the previous administration. Just generally, because some of these uh, suggestions that have been made uh, in terms of the investigation moving towards President Biden have not apparently, uh, we haven't uncovered any evidence that that is currently being uh, discussed in front of the grand jury in Delaware or in that particular office. Do you have confidence Forget the larger question of the Biden Justice Department. Do you have confidence that Mr. Weiss is doing a thorough job in his investigation? All I'm going to say is there shouldn't be politics anywhere. It should be driven by the facts, the law, the Constitution. We've had over 14 whistleblowers come talk to us. Every single one has said at the highest levels of the Justice Department here in D.C., the Washington Field Office and in, in the Justice Department here in D.C., that is where the politics are involved. That is where the political decisions are being made. We have a concern with that. That's what we're focused on. So, so they're saying that the suspicious activity report, which is what a SAR stands for, yes, the, that the, they're being changed and altered. Yeah, they're being after the fact. Over 150 of them, they saw. Um, well, suspicious activity on the suspicious activity reports. So, how does how is that even possible? Like, that seems like that should be literally the last thing that could possibly be happening. Well, he did go into how it's a very partisan DOJ and some yeah. of the issues that they're having there. So I think that's part of the timeline that they're trying to build up. A suspicious activity report, That uh, it's like a legitimate form that you have to fill out those to, are one to of the, submit one of those things. Th they're one of the biggest deals in the federal government. You fill one of those things out, it's, it's serious. Like somebody actually has to look at it. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, if you're looking at your own team, then... Senator Ted Cruz weighed in on the potential um, House investigations into the Biden crime family. Let's hear him give some commentary on it. Well, listen, I think it's very important that we finally have congressional oversight of the abuses of this administration. That's one of the most important consequences of Republicans taking the House. And, and uh, Jim and James are both exactly correct that, that the focus needs to be on Joe Biden. You know, the, we've seen the Biden Department of Justice uh, engage in abuses of power. Uh, I just wrote a book, came out a couple of weeks ago, called Justice Corrupted, how the left has weaponized the legal system that talks entirely about how Barack Obama and Joe Biden turned the Department of Justice and the FBI and the IRS into politicized and weaponized tools to target their enemies. And as you know, the Biden DOJ has been leaking that they're, they're considering and intend to indict Hunter Biden. Let's be clear. That story is not about a poor, troubled soul who has substance abuse issues. That's what the, the DOJ is trying to make it about. They're saying, well, we're going to go after him on, on drug charges or tax charges, all of which are personal to Hunter Biden. The real issue and what the focus of congressional inquiry needs to be, and I'm glad to hear just moments ago that it will be, is on the official corruption, on the evidence that Joe Biden was 
part and parcel involved in official corruption. For example, we know that Hunter Biden was on the board of Burisma, a Ukrainian natural gas company. He didn't speak a word of Ukrainian. He didn't know a damn thing about oil and gas. But they paid him $83,000 a month. And the only reason they paid him that, that was because daddy was vice president, not just vice president, but Obama had put him in charge of Ukraine in particular. Mm -hmm. And the corrupt oligarch that owned the natural gas company was being investigated by Ukrainian prosecutors. And Joe Biden went to the head of U Ukraine and said, you either fire the prosecutor or we're going to hold up a billion dollars in U.S. aid. And, and as Joe Biden famously said in a televised interview, well, son of a bitch, they fired the guy. They fired the prosecutor investigating the corrupt oligarch who was paying Joe Biden's son a million dollars a year. That's what he was being paid for. And so that needs to be investigated. And that doesn't even begin to touch the Chinese communist who paid millions to Hunter Biden with, as you know, the phrase 10 percent for the big guy. Mm. That is why it is a matter of public concern, not that he has substance abuse problems, but that his dad was on the take from enemies of America. That is worthy of investigation. I'm glad to see the House will be doing it. Yeah. Yep. It's going to be a lot of layers on that onion to peel off. Uh, and you got yeah. Joe Basement's at the center of it and the first son. They, they're, they're going to eat him. I'm, I'm calling it yeah. now. I just, think so too. I mean, just like, uh, just like how we see everybody that's on their way out just gets shit on and destroyed. Yeah. You guys remember when a billion dollars to Ukraine was a lot? <laughs> <laughs> What is it at now? Like sixty billion? Uh, it's a well. It's closer to seventy, I think, right now. And, and and one of the things that I think the House Republicans by did we just stop updating border walls just because it's pointless now? No, no, we're not there. Remember, we're we're in that gray area where we're not going to have money flying around. We did go from point twenty five to point seven five last week at the thirty one plus total that we're currently sitting at. But just remember. Joe Biden proposed yesterday $37.5 billion more. So we'll be almost doubling that number if How that do gets you, approved. It's, it's, like, it's like gas prices. It's like, oh, good, gas is only $5 a gallon right now. It's like, oh, good, you know, we've only, we're just going to, you know, $37 billion. That's fine. We'll just do it again. No big deal. That's, that's, that's cheap. Yeah, they just keep. Where does this money come from? Oh, it's no. from us. Well, you do have to remember now that we've seized back power of the House of Representatives, these things are going to have to go through them. Bills that big, money that allotted, uh, will have to be appropriated and then designated for Joe Biden to sign. He can't just blindly send that. I, he so can, this last push is just to try to do it before it happens. Mm -hmm. so, so it's one last money laundering push. Because, I mean, I've been saying this from the beginning, that the Ukraine is the biggest money laundering operation since weapons of mass destruction. Yep. And Not only are you both right, Someone actually weighed in on Capitol Hill today ahead of being sworn in in January. Georgia fighting 14th's very own Marjorie Taylor Greene. ...of dollars be sent to defend another nation's border that is not our own. Every single day, our border is invaded by people from foreign lands and also by drugs. Over 300 people are dying every single day. Americans are dying every single day from fentanyl poisoning. Yet the Biden administration and this Congress has not done anything to protect our nation's border and the American people. Just to remind everyone, the building that we're standing in, the federal government and everyone's paychecks here is paid by the American taxpayers. 
and the American taxpayers and the American people deserve to have a secure border and deserve the protection of the federal government from the Mexican cartels that funnel drugs into America to kill Americans. I'm calling for an audit of every single penny that has been sent to Ukraine, mm. including aid money and any other monies that have been given to the Ukrainian government to defend their national security where our national security has been ignored. This must be done. It has to be done as soon as possible for the American people. They deserve transparency and they deserve to see where their money is going. I yield. I don't disagree, but how are you going to audit a small nation that's literally been caught with uh, political representatives' wives with suitcases full of money fleeing the country? That audit's <laughs> argu argument would lead to us defunding funding Ukraine. Mm. If they can't tell you where the money's going and they have no evidence that the money's being used for what they're sending it off for, then moving forward, how are we going to be able to appropriately fund that? I mean, I guess we know that they spent the money on that missile that they shot into Poland. <laughs> <laughs> Oopsie. There's some good memes that came out of those oh. bad boys. <laughs> it, was, it was Russia, Polish bros, I swear. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me, bros, I saw it online. Or, or the Scooby-Doo when he's pulling off the, the mask of Putin and it's Zelensky yeah, yeah, yeah. underneath it. And, oh, everything for... But, all right, let's 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 get away from potential... Maybe that maybe Ukraine was trying to say that it was actually just footage from a video game. Mm, that's a good point. And we've seen that one about several dozen times, a la Ghost of Kiev. Potential investigations and segue to current ones that are going on. We all know that Alejandro Mayorkas and, and disgraceful FBI director Christopher Ray have been up on Capitol Hill answering before a Senate Judiciary Committee last week. I saw some good ones yesterday from two of our favorites. Uh, Dr. Rand Paul's first before Josh Hawley. Let's hear him. Obtaining anonymous social media data and then using technical methods to pierce the anonymous nature of the data. Anonymous social media data? So you purchase data. People purchase data all the time, and we sort of tolerate it for advertising and things because it's anonymous data. Are you purchasing what is said to be anonymous data through the marketplace and then piercing the anonymous nature to attach individual names to that data? Right. But when you asked about anonymous data, I was thinking more in terms of... Um, no, I'm talking about data that is that, out there. And are you purchasing data and then piercing the anonymous nature of that data? So the manner in which we use, uh, we usually use the term commercial data, um, uh, is probably longer than I could explain here. But again, let me have a... Have a uh, so you, 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 are, you, aren't you will not answer the question of whether or not you're attaching names to anonymous data. I think it's a more complicated answer than I can mm, give here. Of course it is. So, so far we're 0 for 2 with getting you to answer this, but you're pledging you will actually answer the question because you have to realize the frustration. We'll write you a letter and your team of lawyers will write back a 15-page letter that says nothing and you won't answer the question. These are very specific. This is whether you're obeying the law, whether we can have confidence. I want to have confidence in the evidence. We are obeying the law. Well, you're saying that, but we won't tell us the answer. I said so, we would. So you have to no, say I, yes. That's not what yes, I said. No, you aren't telling me the answer. And the answer is, are you collecting data not compelled by a warrant? That would not be in compliance with the law, but you won't answer that you're not collecting that data. I, I said two things. One, we're following the law. And second, that we would have somebody follow up with you with more detailed, specific So those are two specific questions. Are you getting data from them that's not compelled? And then are you piercing the anonymous nature of that technically? Mm. Back and forth with this asshole. I don't know how he still has this job. Um, well, because he's playing for the right team. 
I I hope that um, for now. I hope that Mitch McConnell is really enjoying that one race he couldn't have poured money in to get one of these senators over the line. That would have swung balance of power back to the Republicans, because this is the stuff that we're going to be up against for the next two years now. Yep. Uh, Senator Hawley was next, and uh, he had a couple bangers. It was it was kind of a dump fest, and uh, well, I think the first one we'll touch on is uh, you know these pro life activists that have been getting hemmed up by the FBI and a lot of the January six cases we heard in our last episode that you know Christopher Ray and Alejandro Mayorkas wouldn't talk about their confidential human sources on the ground day of dressed like Trump supporters. Let's hear uh, Senator Hawley open that up a little bit more. Whistleblowers who have come forward to members of this body to members of the House. The FBI has been sending more than, in one instance, a dozen armed agents to a rural Pennsylvania home of a Catholic pro-life demonstrator to arrest him at gunpoint in front of his children in early morning hours, despite the fact that he posed no risk of violence or threat and had previously offered to turn himself in. Numerous whistleblowers, field agents, have alleged that D.C., your headquarters, has pulled them off working on child sex abuse cases, working on human trafficking cases, in order to work on January 6th matters for this reason, to give the appearance, they say, they say, that there are hundreds of new domestic terrorism cases in the country, when in fact there are not. Whistleblowers, field agents have also said that D.C. has ordered the use of SWAT teams on nonviolent suspects who may have attended a January 6th rally, and they have been ordered to conduct surveillance and knock on doors of people who were not even in D.C. on January 6th. And again, all of this, according to the whistleblowers, these are your agents, all of this in order to make it look as if there's a mass surge in domestic terrorism all across the country when, in fact, the stats are being padded by political directive in your office. They also say, these whistleblowers, the D.C. leadership deliberately suppressed investigations into Hunter Biden, contrary to FBI procedure, and have also retaliated against FBI agents and whistleblowers who have contacted Congress, which, by the way, they are protected by statute to do so. Mm. This is what's happening at your FBI while you are evading oversight hearings. Mr. Director, do you think you're still up to this job? I absolutely think I'm still up to this job, and I think our workforce feels the same way. Well, I don't. And frankly, I think you should have been gone a long time ago. Mm. And given your behavior recently, I think it only makes it more clear. Are there any travel plans today that we should be aware of that you have? Let's let's just hold up real quick before we get into that, because I did pull that soundbite. You guys also remember last month when, when... Senator Chuck Grassley was the head, uh, was sitting in the big boy chair that day interviewing Chris Ray, and they gave him all. Chuck Grassley read a nice long, it was like a two minute script of a question he wanted to ask him, and then he's like, uh, Are we going to do this now? Because I got a thing. I got to catch a plane. I got to catch a plane. <laughs> and Senator Grassley was like, Wait, what? Didn't you just hear what I read? He's like, Yeah, I know, but we talked and we were, we were going to kind of cut this short today. And yeah, so Senator Hawley, who's got a little bit sharper. When it comes to, you know, the clapbacks than than Chuck Crassley is right now in his advanced age, was ready for this and wanted to rehash that open. Let's hear the dialogue between them on that banger. The last time that I got to visit with you was back in August, August 4th of this year. You were at the Senate Judiciary Committee. You remember that, I assume. We had to cut that hearing short. We were supposed to do two (laughs) rounds of questions. You said you had to be somewhere, so we cut it short. Republicans were not able to ask a second round as we had been informed we would. 
The press reported shortly thereafter that the reason that the hearing had to be cut short is because you were flying on a Gulfstream jet for a personal vacation in the Adirondacks. <laughs> Please tell me that's not accurate. <laughs> Senator, the hearing was cut short, was not cut short from my experience. We had agreed beforehand on the time and, and, uh, and length of it. And my, I was very surprised to find that the, any member of the committee was surprised. Uh, as to how I uh, fly, I am required, not only uh, permitted, but required to fly uh, on uh, an FBI plane wherever I go. That's so, so you were going on vacation? First. I was, yes. So you left a statutorily required oversight hearing in order to go on a personal vacation in the Adirondacks. Damn! I took a flight <laughs> to go visit my family, uh, as had been previously arranged in conjunction no, no, with no. the leadership of the committee. The ranking member, Chuck Grassley, asked you during the hearing, he said, I assume you must have other business. You said, yes. He then said, if you have a business trip, you've got your own plane, can't it wait a while? He then said, Chuck Grassley, we only just heard half an hour ago that now you have to leave. We were going to have a seven-minute round followed by a three-minute round. I've got seven people on my side of the aisle, that included me, who are waiting for this additional round. Is there any reason we can't accommodate them for 21 minutes? And you said you had a plane to catch. You had somewhere to go. And now we find out it was for vacation? The, the reference to other business was not a reference to that day. It was a reference to the following week where Senator Grassley and Bullshit. I were going to see each other in Iowa when I had other business in Iowa, and I did, in fact, see him then. So, wait, you had to leave the hearing early because you had you were going to see him later in Iowa in a week? No, I had to leave uh, when I said I was going to have to leave, as had been previously organized with <laughs> Lean the into that microphone, baby. <laughs> you, you left an oversight hearing before the Senate Judiciary Committee required by statute so you could vacation with your family. I find that absolutely unbelievable and, frankly, indefensible. Now Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you can change a flight plan. Yep. The Adirondacks are going to be there, yep. and it's your own fucking plane. That's right. They fucking busted that dude so hard just now. What a piece of shit. They definitely want him to fall it's on like the sword. Confuse the whole thing about how it was his having business to tend to yeah. was about a week for the week after. Oh, and you can tell that they totally flustered him because he like leaned real close to the microphone, you know? <laughs> like it got, he's like, well, the blah, 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 blah. And then, well, no, not really. It was, uh, it's like, come on, come on, man. Oh my gosh. And for as much of the pilot was a bad dude. No, I, I mean, you're not wrong for, for as much as that seems good and, and, the perspective of it moving forward uh, seems like we're going to be there. We all know the Biden regime boomerang swings a heavy toll when it comes back around. Neither of you know this. Just breaking in the last few moments, we've had some developments up on Capitol Hill and at the Department of Justice. Oh, Let's hear it. Based on recent developments, including the former president's announcement that he is a candidate for president in the next election and the sitting president's stated intention to be a candidate as well, I have concluded that it is in the public interest to appoint a special counsel. Such an, uh, an appointment underscores the department's commitment to both independence and accountability 
in particularly sensitive matters. It also allows prosecutors and agents to continue their work expeditiously and to make decisions indisputably guided only by the facts and the law. That is current U.S. Attorney General revenge hire Merrick Garland in a little over 24 hours after the U.S. House of Representatives announces that they're going to open an investigation into the Biden crime family that they will be now holding a new Mueller-type special counsel into the nothing burger that is the person, Donald Trump, for no reason. Yep. No reason. Like, literally, no. I was waiting for the punchline. Again, we keep playing these clips, and I'm, I'm my finger's hovering over the garrison button, and I'm just, like, waiting. I'm like, this has got to be a joke. Yeah. Like, I can't even. He, here's the garrison button that I wanted to use. Oh. I, I, I didn't know where to put it. I, I'll just start now. Oh, scissor me timbers. There it is. That's, that was for that clip. I, I don't know what to do with it. I don't know where to put it. I got to say they found this time around. Like, it's just ridiculous at this point. It's. It, so it, they're going back and they're going to do a molecular uh, DNA analysis on the ketchup on the wall of the, uh, the galley at the White House. Oh my <laughs> I mean, Donald Trump has already alluded to the fact that he does not waste food. <laughs> Will not throw ketchup. I did see, and in our last audio clip of the week, uh, House Representative Michael Waltz jumped on with Fox News just breaking now to give a little commentary on this and uh, the suspicion level of it. Let's hear it real quick breaking news but what are your thoughts about this is he doing the right thing by appointing a special counsel you know president trump once said to me that if if he declared uh today that he was no longer interested in running uh for president all of this would stop uh this is about politics it's always been about politics from from russiagate and and moving forward and what's so uh you know what's such a shame is that loss of trust in the special co- uh, co- uh, special prosecutor has also uh, has also occurred here because Mueller loaded up his team mm-hmm. with so many Democrats, so many Clinton people, so many people that were tilted uh, against uh, Donald Trump that there's no confidence that this mm-hmm. one won't be the same, but it's no surprise. Now that President Trump's announced for president, they're going to put a permanent entity in place right. that can hang uh, th- this cloud over him uh, until 2024. And, and if you don't think that they're going to hang that cloud over him in 2024, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's it's just absolutely embarrassing that this is where. Our, listen, you have the attorney general of the United States come out to make this bullshit announcement today. One thing we didn't get to cover because it's been so repressed in the me- in the media Yesterday in the morning, there was a shootout on the high seas off the coast of Florida between drug smugglers and U.S. Customs and Border Patrol. Uh, One agent was killed, uh, four were injured, and it's completely out of the news media. For everyone that wants to go up on Capitol Hill and talk in the podium in the House and Senate about all these things we knew about Chinese fentanyl and Mexican. Yeah, is that not is that not being put out on like the actual news outlets at all? It's not at all. It's it's the only reason I know about it is because it was on social media. Yeah, it's embarrassingly repressed and, and and if i didn't see so it, those it, and on the ticker tape yesterday on fox news i would know nothing about it yeah those those are the uh the air and marine uh officers right something's right yeah. yeah but i mean one agent was killed and and four were injured by gunfire in a shootout with mexican cartel who was trying to boat drugs into the united states and it's just 
instead of anything to do with that, a full-on investigation onto which cartel and how we're going to hit back, we come out and have another fucking nothing burger special counsel on Donald Trump that's going to last all the way up through the primary of the general election season now moving forward. Donald Trump has issued a statement in the last 10 minutes. It's the 1 o'clock hour on the West Coast here today on Friday stating that he will not participate in that special counsel in any context moving forward. And the back to the, the federal agents getting... Mm-hmm literally murdered by the drug cartels mm-hmm. in American American waters, right? Mm-hmm. Well, no, high seas, international waters, yeah. I guess. But the, it just, it, it goes to show that this administration does not care about law enforcement. Now, they might care about some law enforcement when it benefits them, like... Weaponized. Weaponized law enforcement agencies or the Capitol Police because they need them to be the fucking white knights of the bullshit January 6th. Mm-hmm. But when it comes down to it, like you could literally have an in, like what uh, is I think you did see in the in the news the what was it the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department like twenty of those guys uh, they were an academy class or something like that they got ran down by a wrong way driver mm-hmm. I mean I saw that on social media too is that left out of the news I'm sure to some extent I mean maybe local news but. I mean, the only thing I saw was that the driver might have fallen asleep at the wheel and then no other context. People, some, some of the people died. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like five of them, I think, were critically injured, mm-hmm. if not dead. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, this, this administration does not care about law enforcement. They, they want to say that, you know, Biden comes out and, oh, you know, we need to fund law enforcement. Well, it's like that's exactly the opposite of the shit that you were saying throughout the entire summer of love. It's, it's your... Your rhetoric is blowing with the wind at this point. It's it's absolutely atrocious and just it's disrespectful. Yeah. yeah. It's disrespectful to the country, it's disrespectful to the voters, it's disrespectful to people who have fucking common sense. And it's like every hole in the dam that needs to get plugged up immediately when all this shit goes on. It, it it's not too much outside the realms of reality why so many voters feel either turned off or disenfranchised by all this stuff. And, uh, you know, I can't wait to see the new garbage barge full of lies that Merrick Garland and the special counsel is getting ready to uh, roll out there to say that they're investigating. I'm sure you'll hear the words about taxes and secret documents, Uh. phone calls with world leaders, all stuff that Donald Trump. Listen, we're at the point now, literally, I, I know we've been saying it for Close to four years now, but if they ever had anything legitimate, they would have. On him, it would have been out already. They would have been ago. running with it. It would have been oh. plastered on the side of billboards and buildings, and on the sides of fucking airplanes. It would be a ticker tape on CNN at the very bottom, and it would be, you know, the number of things Donald Trump's been guilty of. Oh, but is. people, they say this stuff and they do this stuff, and people have no fucking idea. I yep. was with somebody who I thought. You know, that I work with. Had half a brain. Eh, you know, but I was just like, we're talking about, uh, you know, Trump DeSantis or whatever. And he's just like, oh, they're all, they're all corrupt. Look at all the stuff Trump did. And I'm like, what, 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 did, what did Trump do? He's like, oh, all that stuff. You know, I'm like, what, like Russian collusion? He's like, yeah. I'm like, that was literally debunked. He's like, oh, no, and he, him and Putin are like this. It's like, okay. It just doesn't make any sense. They run with this stuff, and people fucking believe it hook, line, and sinker. It doesn't even matter if anything's true anymore. It's the same. I know I fucking, I'm a beating a dead horse and repeating this shit over and over again, but if they say it enough times, it becomes true to the general public. And that's fucking factual. Yeah. And it's ugly.
And it looks like it's going to continue to be ugly, so we're just going to need to uh, keep tracking this as we're moving forward and, and, you know, in the meantime, pick up those small victories whenever we most certainly can. Busy week, but at the end of the day, they're all busy here on Steak for Breakfast. Uh, glad to have the entire pod team with us today and uh, glad to have brought you the news. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear the other 187 editions of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, you can find us across every downloadable podcasting platform. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Podaddict, Google Podcast, FM Player, iHeartRadio, the Patriot Podcast Network on the Roku app. We're even on Frank Speech. Subscribe to the show and rate it, leave a review, and don't forget to download, listen, like, follow, and share Steak for Breakfast content. Show creds go out to our amazing guest today, obviously the spokeswoman for President Trump, Ms. Liz Harrington. Always a pleasure having her on. Tech policy expert at the Heritage Foundation, Jake Denton, and Newsweek columnist and podcast host, Mr. Josh Hammer. Appreciate them all coming down. Friends, don't forget to go throw some cash at our sponsors because when you do that, the only thing that happens is you help make small American businesses great again. My pillow. What can you say about Mike Lindell? He's a great American, loves this country. He's more uh, focused on giving you a better night's sleep as well, waking you up with the coffee too. And in promo code steak at checkout, you're going to get big, big savings. MyPillow.com forward slash steak for anything sleep-related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash steak. Or you can talk to a qualified pillow representative, 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear, the best headphones that I've ever owned, come from Odyssey. If you're serious about podcasting, in-studio recording, anything of that nature, get your ear needs taken care of and done upright. Odyssey.com is the website. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. My Patriot Cigars. Premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. MyPatriotCigars.com is the website. And a promo code steak. Get 15% off your total purchase there. Man rubs! I brought Noah some chili that I made the other day. It's got uh, man rubs on the ground sirloin. So, hope you enjoy it. Delicious. I can't wait. It was good. Everybody liked it. And uh, manrubs.com is the website there. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Stay ready gear holsters. What do we got? If you want Merrick Garland... (laughs) creating a new mixed special counsel to investigate nothing into Donald Trump. They'll throw that image on a conceal carry Kydex holster and they'll get those orders out faster than ever before. Maybe the Adirondacks in the background. Are you talking about the inner cavern? (laughs) Right over everybody's head. Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms is a pretty simple occasion for all your gun-related needs, firearms, parts, accessory, and ammo. His newly redesigned, easy-to-use website is westcoastsurvivalarms.com. He's on Facebook Messenger. And via the telephone, 619-870-6992. Mediocre Medic for all our first responders. You're going to like everything they've got in their store. You're going to like their Instagram a little bit more. Trust me, MediocreMedic.com is the website. And the home of the Zero Fucks Duck. Don't know? Dumpbox.us is where you'll find all your answers and more. Find them on Instagram. Find them on Facebook. Upcoming shows, we'll be back on Tuesday. We're going to have great friend Theo Wolden. I'm sure we'll have a lot to talk about with him. Newly elected congressman out of California's fight in third district, Kevin Kiley, will be here. And, of course, we're going to have a very exclusive segment with none other than the true social CEO, Mr. Devin Nunes. Will be nice. Here. Going to be a good one. Next Friday, nobody scheduled yet. Let's see what happens. And we'll circle back to that as well. Um, on the 2nd of December, former Trump campaign official Paul Manafort will be here, as well as Florida's attorney. Is it? Attorney, not attorney general. What is it called? The medical guy. Medical guy. The medical guy. 
Dr. Lopato <laughs> will be here. They're both going to be talking about their new books. Uh, we're still working on some December. Surgeon General? That's him. God damn it. That fucking went out of my brain, too. He's of that of Florida. So we'll be talking about Big Dick Ronland with him. <laughs> um, what else do we got? Let's see. Friends of the Week. Got my list here. True Social, Twitch, Streamer, Crew, Beastie Man 420, Real Lazy Boss, Amethy St. Dove, New to the Team, American Nintendo, Good Old Fashioned Lover Boy, CSM Master, Suitcase Right Back At You, and The Siberian Kitten, Jason E. Van Gundy, 13 Gen Patriot, Thomas Bama, and some call me Tim79, are also some of our True Social appreciators. Can't ever forget about Ghost Hammer, and then there's always the Meme Team. Midnight Mitch, Grand Old Memes, Right Wing Savages 2.0, Not Far Out, Dumbass Photoshop, Mostly Peaceful, and from Twitter, Spoopy. Guys, things to remember between now and Tuesday. Number one, do your own research. Number two, start a podcast. Today was easy. Yeah. Tuesday was a dumpster fire for me. Yeah, sorry about that. Number three, let's start talking about American greatness again. Donald Trump told us what American greatness is going to look like when he kicked off his campaign this past Tuesday. We need to start talking about American greatness again. And last but certainly not least, let's see what happens. This has been episode 188 of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, and we'll be back with 189 on Tuesday. Theo Wold, Kevin Kylie, and Devin Nunez. On behalf of the pod team, I'm Ro Noah. Later. Antoinette. Bye, guys. See you later. I like it. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. We'll see you tomorrow on the Great Steak Breakfast. And take care. Something is going to require touching shit with your hands.